Welcome back to GWK, your geeky podcast that occasionally records and releases stuff. I know it's been a while. Yeah. And now you're going to get a bunch because we had the MLB 23 review come out. Uh, we have this, which is the Mando and Picard review. And then I have a Last of Us one, part one PC review coming out really soon. So nice. yeah, you're going to get more than enough of us now. Oh, hi, I'm Eric. I'm going to be joined this week by Hawk and Chaos. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. It's going all right. Yeah, yeah. A lot of season three stuff to talk about today. There's a lot of yeah. season three. A lot of, and in the same week, two big shows just decided to end. <laughs> so Almost competing franchises, they, I would Almost. Say. They are definitely competing mm-hmm. franchises. They've always been. I'm, although, I'm waiting for the crossover. Although, I don't. I like both of them. Why not yeah. both? Why not both? This is a perfect time for me to cut in that little meme. What will I? Unlikely. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So like we were saying, um, the third season of both The Mandalorian and Picard came out just this past week. um, And they were both quite... uh, How do I say this? Chef kiss. At least I enjoyed it. Um, Let's do a a non-spoiler review for both right now um like a quick two three sentence thing hawk what'd you think of let's start with mandalorian what'd you think man mandalorian returning for season three gave me things i didn't know i wanted when i when i when i started watching it um and by the end i was hooked it had so many great turns and twists and a lot of times I drew upon references to Star Wars and that that people don't think of, you know, beyond the movies and that. Like, there was a lot of episodes that felt very Clone Wars-y to me, you know, and I, I dug it. Yeah. All right. Shows. Okay, so I'm going to go from the perspective of someone who didn't watch Clone Wars, and I was a little bit bored with Mandalorian Season 3. Did you watch Rebels? Uh, I did not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is why you were bored. You don't do the homework. <laughs> right? And it's not its not that I didn't enjoy me some Mandalorian. It For me, it was just more Mandalorian. It could have just been all one big season for me. It could have, like, if it had just gone season one, two, and three all as one season, it, it wouldn't have really felt all that different to me. Um, but uh, I don't think I was getting a lot of the little references that were coming in. Um, I, I know because I watched New Rockstars and, and things like that, I was able to pick up some of the references that were there, but I wasn't as geeked out as i think i would have been if i was in the shoes that you guys have with 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 knowing all of that background knowledge that's interesting we should talk about that because i was wondering how people who don't know these characters or what's leading this like where this came from and where it's leading to what they thought Mm -hmm. of this season we'll talk about that when we get to the mandalorian sounds good um me i loved it um unequivocally i loved it i love star wars i think rebels and clone wars are the best star wars things that have ever come out um so then i'm missing out then <laughs> i really i really like the original trilogy i like some of the prequels but clone wars and rebels tied those two together and made they actually made the prequels better which is not it, a thing <laughs> it's strange right yeah because uh, there seems to be this kind of thing where we talk about the sandbox you know it's like all the toys in the sandbox and i think the same thing applies to star trek too you know, where failures of certain projects and that can kind of get revamped into mm-hmm. like the you know new stuff. Exactly. And speaking of revamped, what did you think of Picard season three? 
Oh man, <laughs> I loved this season of television. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, even with you know, even despite you know flaws here or there, not it, nothing about it ever detracted my enjoyment week by week, episode by episode. You know, I thought it was the perfect send off. You know, for not just Picard and that, but for the TNG crew as well. Yep, 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 yep. Shows. I have to echo Hawk's sentiments exactly. Like it was beyond incredible. Now, this was a situation where I was able to get all of the mini references and all of the background little winks and nods at us as an audience, as as Star Trek Next Generation fans. And so I was definitely, uh, um, you know, really able to appreciate those things and had a big smile every time something happened. Um, every time we saw a, a character show up for a cameo um, or something referenced from TNG, like it was just, it was so good. And... Um, it just had me so excited about the next episode week by week. Um, yeah, that per- perfect Star Trek. Perfect Star Trek. What can I add to the either of those, right? <laughs> I think um, I think it might be my favorite season of Star Trek ever. <laughs> like, mm. Which is saying a lot, right? There's a lot of seasons of Star Trek. Um, it, it was the perfect way of taking something that was really good already. That's the TNG seasons and and the movies and the crew making it building upon that legacy and making it even better which i cannot say about the first two seasons of picard um this this season you don't need to watch the first two seasons at all they may say two or three things not important doesn't matter it doesn't deter from although i i read something really cool online where they said that season one and two was really um the building up Raffi's character arc. Like you really needed to get season one and yeah. two to get Raffi's character arc. And then they just, des- um, this, this tweet described um, all of, all of Voyager and seasons one and two of how seven got to where she's going to be at the end of season three. So if you sort of look at it that way, it's almost like how you said that, that, that clone wars and rebels sort of made the prequels a little better. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you look at the end game for Star Trek Picard, you can almost appreciate seasons one and two a little bit more for where they led us no, <laughs> no it's <laughs> oh, funny and I'm, okay I, I must be wrong no 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 i'm saying I, I, i'm not saying that that's wrong get I'm out just... of the chat Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, should, the, you need a big x that appears like uh it's funny because my, my older sister didn't watch voyager or the first two seasons of picard and she really likes seven and raffi so mm. i wonder like do you appreciate these characters more after watching that um, but I, I feel like even at, even so these characters were so fleshed out this season, like Raffi's arc, this whole season was mm-hmm. way better than the first two seasons combined. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. No, she was perfect. And all the stuff with her family was like all the drama in the first season. That was all of her drama. of first season yeah. was literally one episode in this, in this third season where she talks to her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we find yeah. out all of that drama in one little yeah. spot. Um, anyway, it's hard not to just straight go into Picard right now because I want to talk about the Mandalorian because um, that finished first, and because I wrote that out in full in the outline, and <laughs> so I figured this will be the easier one to to um, to chat about. Um, we'll just do it in a nice like little roundout. We'll go Hawk, Shouse, and then me. Um, but really, I don't want to go through it episode by episode because that 
is not deserving of this story. The story is long. So this is the spoilery part of this of is the, the show. spoiler. If you haven't seen this, uh, go it. away. Um, and then come but, back. If, but if you want to go to Picard, I will put the time code somewhere or just fast forward. You'll see it. Um, so this season uh, came out. It started on March 1st and ended on April 19th. Um, standard, you know, eight episode season for The Mandalorian. Uh, and we see a return of Din Djarin and Grogu, the little uh, Yoda-like species. We still don't know the name of that species, which I'm fine no, with they, not knowing. I don't Lucas doesn't even know the name of it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's still it's still Baby Yoda. Yeah. So uh, this they tried to give him a name, but it's still Baby Yoda. <laughs> so what we found out in the last two seasons is that um, because of situations, um, uh, Mando had taken off his helmet, and that is against the rules for his his sect, his 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 tribe in the of Mandalorians. Oh, I just hit my microphone. Um, so children of the watch. So if you didn't watch the book of Boba Fett, there was a really important episode where he finds out that he needs to redeem himself himself by bathing in the waters of Mandalore. Um, unfortunately, Mandalore was destroyed by the Imperials after they tried to, you know, become a power. Now, did that in happen show. in clone wars that happened in between rebels and, um, the movie. So we never saw this happen. The first time okay. we ever heard about it or saw it was on uh, this show. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, there are rumors that Mandalore is poisoned. So, you know, Mando's like, my helmet doesn't protect that. I need a robot to go down there. And really the first bit of this this season was him trying to find a guide or a helper. Um, and he wanted IG-11, which was the assassin droid we met last year voiced by Taika Watiti, but instead we got R5, which was the little Jordan um, <laughs> in episode four that blew its uh, motivator, and Bo-Katan from Rebels. What did you guys think of uh, this little redemption arc of uh, the Bando and how it started not on this show? I know, yeah. I, I imagine a lot of people who didn't check out Book of Boba Fett because, you know, it, it, it just wasn't that, that that good, you know. Except for the Mandalorian episodes. And that, that was the best by, part of that whole episode. Yeah, that was directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, right? Who directed the best episode of this season, too. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's like if you're just jumping into season three and that Mando is on, is on a religious quest and that to redeem himself in the eyes of the children of the watch and the armor and that for removing his helmet, you know, which he openly confessed to in those in those episodes of of, uh, of the Book of Boba Fett. Um, so that gives us our starting point. And then the first episode was almost like a getting to know you. You know, real a reacquaintance. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. <laughs> He revisits Navarro, his old stomping ground from season one, which looks a lot different now <laughs> with all the economy and the niceness and the, you know, the you know, well, bands. It's, it's, that are just... it's really interesting to see the Outer Rim succeeding because from what we've known from Star Wars, at least everything that we've we've ever seen or heard about the Outer Rim, like Tatooine, is like the Wild West. So it's always and I think that's what George Lucas wanted when he was creating this world. He wanted this Wild West-esque um mm-hmm. sector this lawless area yeah exactly yeah that was also rich economically in that because it was they needed like stopping grounds from their trade routes it's right? like the expanse and the and the 
and the belters, right? They had all yep. the, the water and all of that, but that didn't go to the... Didn't Carl Weathers specifically call miners in the Outer Rim belters? He did. He did. Yes. God damn. This is why everyone needs to watch The Expanse. Did you watch The Expanse yet, Shouse? Not yet. <gasps> Not yet. Working on it. Shouse. <laughs> like well, finished. now I got to go back and watch Clone Wars and Rebels first. <laughs> I would say watch Expanse first, to be honest. <laughs> I'm at that point. Like that, the Expanse is probably my favorite sci-fi. Anyway, sorry, Hawk. So yeah, so that was episode one. Was our, our getting reacquainted in that, you know? And I, I know a few people were a bit miffed in that, but like every time I'm dropped into that world and that, I'm there and I'm watching in that, and I'm, I don't care if anything didn't happen in the episode in that. I was just, I was just really happy to be back there, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. I knew good things were coming next. Fair. And then yeah. uh, Bo Katan ends up becoming the 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 shepherd, not not just. Yeah, it was weird because you first see her in that. It's like, and you, re- you remember the whole conflict in that where Mando won the Dark Blade from uh, Moff Gideon in season two, you know, and obviously you know w- was told the truth about the blade that you know it in itself didn't have much in the way of power in that. It was the story behind it that w- that had held power for the Mandalorians and that. You know, so I was immediately assuming that the whole season was going to build up to a conflict between the two of them. And it didn't. That's okay. Shus, what did you did you watch the book of Boba Fett? I did. You did. <laughs> That's and I really I, and I really I really liked it. Did you? Oh yeah. Like re oh, yeah. yeah, like you yeah. we say really liked it. No, I re- I really liked the Boba Fett backstory stuff, like the 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 stuff with with him and the. Uh, I the enjoyed that part of it too. I just thought yeah. it was it was clunkily put together, so it was sort of weird like i wish it was chronological because because the flashbacks in the modern day did not make sense like there was no reason to have the flashbacks in the anyway that's that's another i I wish i wish i had talked to you guys about that when that when that show would come out because i felt that it it felt kind of um i don't know felt kind of cheap putting the mandalorian in it like i I almost Mm -hmm. wanted it to just to just be be able to stand on its own two feet we agree that's a different discussion i think we no we actually (laughs) when we did the review of the book of both we exactly said that like it was it was the part where people are like well i guess we need to keep people watching the last couple episodes because we sort of screwed the pooch at the first seven (laughs) let's bring mando in and the best like it's bad when the best episode is an episode that doesn't have boba fett in it like that's not good (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I think the problem with Book of Boba Fett was just kind of the tonal change in the character of itself. Himself, you know, it's like you know he, you know, they wanted to redeem him and that, you know, make him like a good guy in the hearts of people and that, you know, it's like as kids who grew, you know, like you, you know, us who grew up, you know, that Boba Fett was a bad guy and that, you know, but even still, he was like our one of our favorite bad guys, despite like you know having about roughly 10 minutes worth of footage within the entirety of the of the, the uh, prequels. But it wasn't, the, the, it wasn't the original even, trilogy. It wasn't even the tonal change from the the tril- original trilogy and then the series because when Boba Fett came back in Mando season two, he was still a badass. He just mm-hmm. didn't have his armor. And yeah. I don't know. It just seemed, and that was and that was part was missing in that. Yeah, we, you know, which was surprising because like that episode was directed by um, Robert Rodriguez, you know, and in the uh, season two of Mando, and that, and he did an amazing job of like kind of showing like the differences. Like Mando, you know, is the gunslinger, right? Mm-hmm. But like you know, Boba Fett was a barbarian. Yeah, he was brutal. Like, yeah, there's a reason why stormtroopers ran from him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Sorry, sorry, Shouse. I I, I, yeah. I cut you off from um, Mando seeking redemption and ending up with Bo-Katan. 
So, so I guess, I, I mean, I, I know we're probably going to be skipping all over the place a little bit, but I, I guess I was, I was hoping that this series was going to lead to him um, eventually leaving this cult group, this children. I of thought the, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I thought, I thought by the end of the season, he, his mask was just going to be straight up off. Um, I actually thought we were going to see the armorer with her mask off too, but um, I agree. You know what I mean? Not, not, none of that particularly happened. It almost seemed like the other, it went the other direction where everybody kind of folded into the the way, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, um, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't right. know. I think it was like almost like because we from what we understand in that, you know, it's like these factions were so splintered, you know, ideologically and religiously in that, that, you know, they just refused to interact with each other. And the whole yeah. point wasn't that they kind of folded themselves into the Children of the Watch's ideology and that it's almost like the Children of the Watch came to accept that, like, you know, other Mandalorians, you know, did not hold their same beliefs in that, you know, it's like they could, but at the same time. They, they were still considered Mandalorians. I, I find okay, that interesting so, yeah. because this whole season has had a lot of religious overtones. They even named a lot of the um, episodes of, based on religious um, terms. Yeah, the, and stuff. Apo- the apostate. Yeah. Uh, sorry, one sec. Yeah, there's a bunch the apostate, of- the convert, the foundling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but like, could you imagine if, say, the Pope all of a sudden was like, you know what? Everyone who uh, who believes in Jesus, we're cool with you now. All of you. Yeah. That would never happen. But no. it, that's yeah. sort of what happened if you know Bo-Katan became the Pope. It, it it almost felt political too. Like it almost made me think of like say American politics, for example. You know, with the the Democrats and the Republicans. Like it almost felt like you have your far left and your far right. Um, yeah, I could see with, that. with 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 regard to the the different ways the Mandalorians were thinking. So I was kind of getting a bit of a political vibe to it, but but he definitely stuck to his convictions. He wanted he wanted redemption within that group, and he wasn't going to be sort of strayed from it, even though people were trying to convince him, like like Bo-Katan was trying to convince him that it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. I right? wonder yeah. I wonder if he will eventually keep his helmet off for say like a movie, because he does seem like he's calmed down. I know we're drink- I'm going to jump to the end right now. Grogu and Mando get their own place. And since mm. he does adopt them, I assume he can take off his helmet around his, his child. We've, yeah. Cause we've had some in-depth, not in-depth, but you know, some casual conversations about Mandalorian rituals and customs and mm. that, you know, when is it appropriate? You know, it's like when they're, you know, when two Mandalorians love each other and want to make a baby and that, it's like, do they have, are they, they take still off keeping the bottom their helmets armor, off? Keep the helmets off. <laughs> their, hel- their helmets are tinging together. <laughs> the way I saw it, though, is that the custom that, you know, their relationships dictate, like, you know, how, you know when and they can take it off and that, you know, because we obviously see that they do have customs about it and that uh, in the fire, in the fireside, uh, you know, when they were eating their dinners, every right, one yeah. of them would go away, not to, to some separate corner and take their helmets off and to be in private but if there are two people who are connected by family i think that's not the exception to the rule i i like i do like the that we did see that the first time when bo katan was taking them on that that dragon hunt and then mm-hmm. later on when the night owls joined everyone and like some of them were like all the night owls were eating together and all the all the um night watch people just fucked off or death watch people <laughs> fucked off and had to eat by themselves like yeah. it's such an interesting you know comparison between these two religious sects it's i loved seeing 
the religious aspect of this. Like, yeah, every time we've talked about Star Wars, like in the past, it's always just been like, here's this Jedi religion, and there's and they're either really good or really bad. So, mm-hmm. so that that there are people that are in that gray, but there are varieties of gray. I think that's fascinating. For sure. And see, this is why you have to watch Clone Wars, Chefs, because like, there's a whole section of this devoted to Mandalore and that and what was happening at the time during, like, you know, you know, before, you know, the Revenge of the Sith. And not even know. that. There are there are varieties of Jedi who are like, you know, maybe both the Jedi and the Sith are too far extreme. Like there should be this middle ground where, you know, you don't go too goody goody and don't go too psycho. Like you just have, you need a balance. And really when, when, uh, what we learned in the original trilogy is that they've always needed a balance in the force. So why take one extreme or the other? Like, that's a good yeah. thing for people who use the force to understand even more interesting. Sorry. I'm just going to go off on random, like tangents. We're talking Star Wars, dude. T- t- tangents is probably better than going episode by episode. I, like I don't want to do it episode by episode. Yeah. We've seen the trailer for Ahsoka now, right? And we've seen two dark Jedi that don't have red lightsabers. They have orange lightsabers. So they haven't fully gone to the dark side because when to make a lightsaber, this is canon, um, they take a pure kyber crystal and they bleed it using the dark side. And that's why you get the mm. pure red. It's because yeah. you bleed it with the, dark, with the dark side of the force. But orange is someone who hasn't gone all the way to the dark side. So... We don't know what happens there. White lightsabers, on the other hand, are someone who took a red lightsaber and purified it. So, oh, neat! I did not know that. It, or cleaned it. I don't know if it was purified is the right word. I, yeah, because like the red cut when the hyper crystal is turned red, that's the rage of the user, and yeah. that has been bled into it. You know. Yeah, and I guess when when you purify it or you clean it, you sort of calm it down. It just sort yeah. of is at peace. I like that. That sounds. That's such a nice way. Of, anyway, um, Shels, I cut you off about <laughs> no, no, no worries. That's that's, that's <laughs> the, yeah. Let's have a conversation here. But I mean, yeah. what, what I was, what I found really interesting was um, the line that Bo Katan said when she talked about how nobody could defeat Mandalore. They were it was that powerful. Yeah, that no one could defeat it. That it had to be defeated from within. And and so it makes me want to go back and look at and see. Yeah, what was what was the Mandalorian Empire? Oh, it's like, so you know? interesting when you get in uh, mm-hmm. Clone Wars because you see that there are sects of um, Mandalore that have gone total peace, like they pacifist. don't believe in yeah, they're pacifists, and the Mandalorians have always been a war raging society. Like they base everything their religion on battle. That's why their armor is like that, right? Um, yeah, it was Bo-Katan's sister in that? Um, yeah. and her father, em- em- Empress Satine. Yeah. And that she was the one who who led the pacifist movement of Mandalore, you and, know, which became the predominant like kind of ideological government governing body. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Shouse, you'll appreciate this. Emperor Satine was named Satine and designed as Satine because of Mulan Rouge. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And you know who played Obi Wan in the prequels? Ewan McGregor, yeah. who played Satine's lover in Mulan Rouge. So there's um, <laughs> I won't tell you what happens to Satine, but. I think you can probably figure it out based on Moulin Rouge. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you also get in Clone Wars, you also get find out death about what Death Watch is about. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like that's they were the sector that kind of spawned the children of the watch that we know from Mandalorian. Yeah. The okay. Mandalorian. 
And then we also find out a lot more about the religion. We find out about the Mythosaur, which were these city-wide monsters that used to be on Mandalore. And the and their rite of passage was them trying to ride one, right? Take it over. And that's why the crest is a the Mythosaur skull. And the season. And so, the, so the idea that there's still one alive, at least one alive yeah. on the planet is a... And that was... I think that was probably the most surprising thing of this whole season for me was seeing that a mythosaur was still alive because they had gone extinct. Like I want to say like thousands and thousands of years ago, if not a millennia before. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Cause the city had, yeah. ex- you know, the cities had expanded their technology expanded in that. So like a lot of the natural landscape of, La- of Mandalore was gone and that and replaced by like huge Coruscant like cities. Yeah. Yeah. Dome cities just because of how much war had been going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tribes had always been at war. And so when Satine had calmed um, the, the, the tribes and created peace, you know, that, that was the first time they had really sat down and a lot of people didn't think that it would last. And obviously it didn't because, you know, they got bombed to shit. And now Bo-Katan is sort of in this place where she, um, She's sort of becoming the leader of Mandalore again. I don't, I don't, at the beginning of the season, I sort of felt like she was sort of just positioning herself, like elbowing herself into it. Yeah. But I think that it just sort of fit for her because she's, she knew the political aspects of everything, like both sides, like, like the armorer said that she walks both worlds. Um, and she knew all of, she knew what to do for all these people. Like out of everyone was in that castle. Was she by herself at that castle? Yeah. Yes. Like, was, is she, was she in exile was her, or something? No, that was her family's home. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. or at least one of them. Her, from what I understand, I think it's her her family's like home home where they had from where they were from. Okay, yeah. and then they had when they had uh, taken over Mandalore, or when they had you know taken over Mandalore, they they moved down to the main cities. Um, okay, but that was actually that would have had all the Mandalores that we saw later, but they sort of abandoned him. Mm. Um. Uh, what did you think of this idea? We sort of touched upon it, but her walking the two, the two worlds, like um, her being able to be the one that would unite everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it was important. You know, everybody you know talked about like you know nothing really happened in the first episode and that, but like it did it reintroduce Bo-Katan and that, and she was at a very low point in, in her life and that because she would lost everything and that she didn't have the dark saber and that and her troops kind of abandoned her and turned into mercenaries. So when she, Mando approached her and that, you know, there was literally nothing going on in her life. And then I think she was at a crossroads. Um, so unknowingly, like this season kind of became about not just his redemption and that, but like her redemption as far as like, you know, expanding her worldview and that, you know, not just missing like the children of the water, just crazy zealots and that, but actually walking among them once they found out that she was, you know, cleansed too by the waters of Mandalore, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and learning that she could, you know, she could make, a, you know, she could make new alliances among her own people and that, and realizing that she, as someone who walked both worlds and that she was kind of the linchpin, you know, she was the instrument in, the, in bringing them all back together. Mm-hmm. Cause as she says, they're more powerful. They were more powerful together than they were like as separate tribes. And by the end of the end series and that we see, you know, how very true this is. I think that when she first decided to um, join uh, Din Djarin to go to the 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 um, 
what do they call it? The co- co- convent, the culvert? The, the culvert. Culvert. Yeah, when 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 she when when he took her there, I could tell that she was hesitant to go and be around them, and they were hesitant to have her sort of among them. Mm-hmm. But it showed that she was a strong leader because she still was willing to accept who they were, and even though she didn't plan to wash herself in the living waters, she ended up washing herself in the living waters. So she was welcomed by them, and and I think that's what allowed her to sort of have a foothold in that world. And then, then from that, she was able to c- connect to the other. It was it was neat because I think a lot of people in that role in that position might have been a little bit too arrogant to maybe agree to to go to the, to be with this cult uh, who have beliefs that she doesn't follow, but still she needs to find a way to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And plus, on top of that, I mean, like you know, she saw she saw like what she considered a miracle. You know, and she probably didn't fully understand it at the time, and that that the myth that the mythosaurs were not all extinct, and that and that she didn't see one. I wonder if it's like uh, one of those religious awakenings, like people like that that find religion. There's just like it just like I, oh, I, like I they, she they, they she saw, was, they saw Jesus in a piece of toast. Yeah, yeah, and then she just sort of like she questioned everything. Like it, it's yeah. it it's like what I can't imagine refer to as a moment of clarity. Yeah, very. <laughs> um, yeah, like. I can't edit. Anyway, um, what I I think my favorite one of my favorite parts in this series is that they harken back to Andor, that we find out what's happening with people on the ground level, and so we go back to Coruscant. We find out that all the Imperials that have been captured have either gone to jail, like Moff Gideon, or they're getting reconditioned to be to be put back into you know working society, mm-hmm. while they have a little. A mark on themselves, a little red A, which is very on the nose. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so, um, I, I I thought that was really interesting. I I like that. Um the the idea would be, some people were saying that this is like, um I think I think Dave Filoni said that if the Nazis had gone to Argentina and started building up again, this is what they sort of would have been doing. Like they've been living in society, but they would also be, um you know, backhandedly doing other things. And we right. get to see that with uh, the New Republic. They're sort of just, they're often being all cocky and being like, we know what we're doing. And we see that with some um, some of the um, aristocrats, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the the we end up finding Imperials are spying and doing their thing to rebuild the Empire. What'd you guys think Ooh. of this? It was I, totally I, separate from the rest of the series, but... I thought this was, was so cool. I mean, like we watched an entire episode with two like kind of secondary characters, one of whom we just like seen basically like br- like so very briefly in season two, and that uh, played by Katie O'Brien. Uh, 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 Il- oh God, I'm trying to I'm blanking on the name. Eli Elia Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the whole episode devoted to her and to uh, Doctor Pershing and that who were mm-hmm. introduced to in season one and that as a geneticist a doctor and that who was experimenting on Grogu for uh, at the behest of Moff Gideon and he has cloning the cloning patches on him right so he was a clone yeah, yeah. what is so fascinating is that we kind of see how like you know you know the expression you know it's like meet the new boss same as the old boss yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> that the new republic and that, you know, while it purported to be on the side, you know, the side of like peace and prosperity and goodness in the galaxy and that it employed a lot of tactics and that that were very imperial like, you know. Oh, so um, much bureaucracy. Con- <laughs> bureaucracy, uh surveillance, monitoring of citizens, right? Yeah. And then ultimately in that one, Dr. Pershing and that uh, straight into his old ways, uh, we find that they, they employ... Uh, torture. A, in old, yeah, torture, but under the guise of medical rehabilitation. Oh, that's what yeah. freaked me out, man. <laughs> but just really, yeah, I know. Uh, that episode was amazing in that. Not just in, you know, the fact that, you know, story writing and like that uh, was great kind of independent star wars show and that but there were so many callbacks and that to old sci-fi shows and other in uh, movies that you know like we can't we were, we i think when we were doing a watch party and we kind of like that that coat was a reference to blade runner um the whole mm-hmm. the torture scene at the end was a big like you know homage to brazil and clockwork orange oh yes absolutely the ludovico technique <laughs> yep yep then <laughs> um shows yeah, that was cool. So I started. So I I watched that episode with my fiance, and and um, she had never seen any Mando. So that was the first episode that she saw of it. Mm-hmm. Wow! And she asked me, she said, "What's going on? Who are all these characters?" And I said, "Well, that's the interesting part. This is this is sort of taking us off on a little bit of an uh, of a side story." Mm-hmm. And and she got sort of hooked on it a little bit. It ended up she ended up watching the whole rest of the series with me, nice. which which I was excited about because she doesn't normally doesn't enjoy these kind of things. Um. But but it was really neat to see sort of what was going on. Um, I was curious about the characters themselves, um, and and what happened at the end with the the mind flare. I thought that there was something more nefarious going on there. Like I thought that she might have been trying to reprogram him or something like that. It, it just appears to me now that she was just trying to kill him. But, I don't think he died. I think he might have just no, gotten. No, but um, she was she was kind of punishing him, and you know because of the perceived portrayal to Moff Gideon and that, you know. But yeah. one of it's it was it's eerie in the fact that she was just she was reminding him that the Empire was still there and still watching. Isn't yeah. that terrifying? Yeah, <sighs> it's but so... this idea that he was part of that group that was like the whole story starting to come together th- um, through all the seasons of Mandalorian that you know why was he even going after grogu in the first place and then you find out later in the season that um with regard to these clones that that they're trying to to clone the ability in to to manage to hit to to utilize the force and and like it it, it was just neat watching that and then realizing oh maybe maybe she also wanted to um erase his mind because if he was That's the only one true. that knew how to do that, maybe he might, you know, be able to help the New Republic or something find a way to get around that. Yeah, um, I, I you know. see. I wonder about that as well. Like, she was Moff Gideon's um, person. Like, she was she was straight up not for any of the other Imperials. And we find out that Moff Gideon was not working on Project Resurrection, which was the the. A project to clone the emperor and bring him back mm-hmm. right he yeah. had his own like i want to make myself into <laughs> into yes. force sensitive Which is crazy and yeah. so, like that's <clears throat> that's an amazing okay now did he die at the end of this season because that's it, a good question it, We're, let's talk about him in a second yeah, um, yeah i just want to <laughs> do i just want to do a two three second because um 
what you guys thought about the the Jack Black Lizzo Christopher Lloyd episode because <laughs> we don't have to talk about it, but I know that a lot of people were sort of pissed off about it. I loved that episode. I thought it was a cool CSI episode that yeah. showed the other another side of the world. I like when they build the world instead of us having to go back yeah. to Tatooine over and over again. Um, that's my thoughts on it, Hawk. <laughs> Uh, again it was just it was a side quest episode you know um and i think i kind of pissed people off i also think they got kind of pissed off it's like why is lizzo in this you know? lizzo was She's awesome not... lizzo was because well, she took a what, dna test was she a great act was she a great actor i maybe not did she look the part yes you know with those <laughs> she fabulous flowing yeah those fabulous <laughs> flowing peacock feathers and that and oh man she just looked like a and jack black you know it's like it like who is you know pretty much just a few pixels shy of an animated character himself? <laughs> he right? is. He is. Yeah. And then Christopher uh, yeah. Lloyd, right? Yeah, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Probably Christopher Lloyd may have been the most disappointing part of it, not just because <laughs> it's you know the man is in his eighties. Everyone yeah. sort of expected him to go bad because it was Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just a you know, bit but, part. No. <laughs> Was it a bad episode? No, it was a lot of fun in that. And yeah. it, as I mentioned before, and that this is one of the reasons it's like it, this harkened back to like the Clone Wars. It was, it felt like a Clone Wars episode. Yeah. You know, you meet this odd, you know, this odd civilization and that, you know, that you, you know, we may run into the beginning, we may not, you know, but it made for a fun episode and that, and people really need to lighten up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. Shows. <laughs> the, the, the question actually came up my, from my fiance. She's like, what, what is going on here? Um, <laughs> she, she enjoyed seeing the, the cameos, but she was like, where's, you know, where's Darth Vader, where's Luke Skywalker and all that stuff. And it brought a good discussion around uh, the sort of world, world building that's been happening in star Wars, which, you know, we're, we seem to have a lot more uh, excitement these days for these, um, stories that take place in the Star Wars universe that are not part of the mainstream movies. Mm -hmm. And and it's because there's so much to that universe that we want to learn more. We want to learn how people live. We want to learn every single planet has its own stories, its own civilization, its own traditions. And so um, being able to take these little journeys into in, into those, uh, those those different ideas, those different ways of living, it, it's it's just fun so i was just trying to and, and and i think she was like oh so there's there's way more to star wars than just lightsabers and yeah. yes it, it's it yeah, is sure. a it is a it's full sh universe so yeah I, I also agree it was it was fun I, I i rarely complain like i'm not one of those internet complainers about things so i didn't yeah. have any issue with it um i just thought it was fun like as, as i was sort of watching through all the episodes back to back it, it kind of felt a little bit filler to me um, but I think if I was sort of taking my time and watching it through sort of as they posted them, then I, I probably would just have a little bit more fun with it. Yeah. Also, like the most interesting thing about Christopher Lloyd's character was that you, you kind of get a little more insight into like the separatist movement and that the people that actually supported it from, you know, yeah. in the prequels. The, and how, how much they believed in uh, Count Dooku and, and how he, he was, wasn't, he wasn't just this jedi that had turned bad which is what really that's all we really got from the movies if you mm -hmm. didn't watch clone wars or just clone wars i was trying to think he's not alive in rebels um no he's not alive in rebels um you yep. wouldn't have realized how important he was to certain like planets and all the planets that he had aligned on himself um what was that tales of the jedi right that that was the the, the animated series we actually got like I think it was three episodes with him. Wasn't yeah, yeah. It? Because we got one where we had a young Qui Gon. We had yeah, him and like, Yaddle. Just a, just a little, just a child, you know, when he was uh, training with him. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was it was interesting to see how how influential Dooku was and how much he 
he felt that the Republic had lost its way, which is a and, great way for him to be a, become a bad guy. Bad guy. And the Jedi Council, right? Yeah. And bad guy, I have to put in air quotes, because I don't think he's totally wrong. No. I know. Like, it, like after Qui-Gon's death, everything changed for him. Yeah. You know, that after Qui-Gon died, he left the order. Yeah. There, there was so much, um, they were so arrogant, the Jedi, and so sure of themselves. And they didn't realize that they were slowly becoming Palpatine's puppet the whole time. And yeah. the fact that Dooku went around to all these plants and were like, you know what? We can do better for you before really com- sort of getting corrupted. I don't think he understood really what what the Emperor's plan was. And I think that's... No, no, no. The, yeah, the Emperor always kept the, everything compartmentalized. And he was, yeah. he was totally, totally surprised when he ended up dying. Um, mm-hmm. by by um Anakin's yes, hand. Yes, by Anakin's hand. Oh, I loved it. Anyway, um, what were we talking about? <laughs> How did I get we to talking, this point? We were talking about the Mandalorian. Um oh, we, you, you wanted to ask three. you wanted to ask about uh, um uh Moth, Moth Gideon, Gideon. Right? Yeah, I was just asking which of these characters were were from from this particular season or from the Mandalorian in general were actually in the Clone Wars or the Rebels. So Moff Gideon was not um was not in the the season, like there's a sequence where we see all of these Imperials talking to Moff Gideon about their various projects, right? Um, Moff Gideon has his cloning project, which they don't really know what's going on. They just assume he's taking Beskar armor and sort of helping the Imperials, right? But even in that discussion, it sounded yeah. like he was trying to turn them all against each other. Yeah, I think he they, was because well, he wanted they, resources. They're sort of all yeah. vying for that top spot, right? If Palpatine yeah. doesn't come back, who gets to be the the top dog? Yeah, and all those like all those warlords, you know, the remnants of the empire and that, and the shadow council, as they called it, um, they were all still there in support of the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Mm-hmm. You know, who the ever, you know, as you know, most fans in Star Wars know, it was apparently it was the heir of the empire. Yeah, um, and who and, he also showed up in Rebels, so he was actually very important to the last couple seasons of that show he's he's uh, fascinating one of the most fascinating of star wars villains i'm so happy they brought him back someone from an alien race who held the top tier position within the empire which was you know a a, a, you know a terran you know system yeah they did not like aliens that's why we never saw um alien species who are are we talking about again the empire this is grand yeah grand admiral thrawn he's the blue he he first appeared in shadows of the empire right no that's caesar um, okay. Um, he first appeared in Heir to the Empire, which was a little bit later. Was it a little bit earlier? No, it was a little bit later. Yeah. Mm. Um, so he's a Chiss who originated from the unknown regions of space. So, Shouse, when you saw uh, Rise of Skywalker, yeah. where that planet was and all those Star Destroyers, that was the unknown regions of space. So his species comes from there. Basically, when okay. he came over to the main area of star wars he was here to to see how well the core planets were um for in in terms of war like he had Mm. he had to check to see if his species was under threat was under threat from them and instead he wanted to just build up in there and you know destroy everything for fun He's fascinating because he's like, you know, he's a very effective leader in that. And he's also very good at like, you know, what he does is study alien cultures, you know, right down to the religions and practices and that. And, and their art. You know, 
and their art and that and it gives them an insight in that in how to dominate and defeat these these cultures so also in that council we see people that are connecting the original trilogy we see some people that were at the death star there we see people that are connected to the sequel trilogy um hux's father was one of the mm. people and he was part of um project yeah, resurrection the, the so mustache that, guy yeah that that uh, makes even more sense also i think moff gideon lost his mustache that's the <clears throat> real yeah. that's the real sadness here um okay i got i got another question for you guys real quick yep. um yeah so i like these <laughs> it says here that grand admiral thrawn was part of the expanded universe yeah and and didn't when when disney took over star wars they said they were getting rid of all the expanded yeah. universe yeah so yeah, was, so he was part of air of the empire and uh two other books afterwards those ended up moving over to Legends. But when Rebels came on, Dave Filoni was like, I really like this character. I'm bringing him into Star Wars canon. Okay. So he's okay. Yeah. officially in Star Wars canon. Um, and because of his, you know, the connections with Ahsoka and that, you know, he's become kind of vital in, in moving forward with like, you know, Disney's plans for what they're doing with the TV series and probably the films going forward. Yeah, we should, we should do a... Um, a which episode should we should people watch for Ahsoka? Ooh. Because I think that you don't need to watch all of Rebels. I think there are there are certain ones you should watch, and there are definitely certain ones in Clone Wars that you need yeah. to watch before Ahsoka. I I really Wait. am interested in how people are going to take that series if they haven't watched anything before. So Shouse, you've never watched the episode Twin Sons from what? Um, from Rebels? No. Oh. oh. <clears throat> No, I have not. <laughs> no, I want to. There are some. <laughs> there are so many good. There's stories. some of some of the finest Star Wars moments come from these series. Yeah, you know? I don't think I've ever like sad, like um, ugly cried from a cartoon <laughs> until I saw <laughs> until I saw an episode of, of Rebels. There, there's one that's just like, oh, devastating. Yeah. Anyway, um, we find out that um, that. Um, uh, what's his name? Moff Gideon is building an army on Mandalore. He's not just um, he's not just bombed the whole place to shit. He has built a refinery to take Beskar and mold armor for his stormtroopers and for himself. And not just regular armor for him. He gets powered armor. Yeah. But they also they also have the jetpacks and they have all of the Mandalorian weapons too. Yeah, like they yeah. got the flamethrowers and they have all yeah. that stuff. Too. So basically, they just took the Mandalorian tech and sort of gave it to stormtroopers without training them to use it like a Mandalorian, which is interesting because mm -hmm. when the Mandalorians come in, they just sort of wreck the first <laughs> fleet of uh, stormtroopers. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they get overwhelmed. There's only a certain amount of mandalorians that came down in the in the scouting party and no matter how good you are if you get if you don't have the numbers it's just going to be bad news yeah and we end up getting our first real death on this series paz vizsla who was yeah. sort of this this foil to <clears throat> to din Djarin throughout the whole yeah. the whole series and he ends up being the person that saves all of them he he covers the way as they well, because as they uh, because Din Djarin and uh, and Bo Katan save save his son from the dragon. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's true. Um, what do you yeah. think of this sacrifice? I, because I, I've always I've since season one I've been fascinated with them. You know, it's like when episode three, episode three and that the sin when the you know at the end of it and that when we see the Mandalorians come together as a cohesive unit defending Din Djarin and that like yeah. I just it was immediately. 
like tagging with the guy. You, know? you gotta love the first... guy with the chain gun. Because <laughs> <laughs> our first run in with him in that he he was he he was so critical of Dinjarin and that he sits at tables with the Empire, you know. Um, so we always kind of thought, oh, he's just going to be that rough neck who, you know, he's never going to like Din Djarin, you know, but no, and the, the, they came together. And in fact, he becomes that, that voice, right? You know, mm -hmm. when he got up, when he got up during the thing, he was on the, the talking stick. Um, he supported uh, Bo-Katan and Din Djarin's plan. Which that we didn't theory. think would happen, which is no, awesome. we thought. Yeah, he th we thought he was just like a hardcore zealot and that who would just wanted isolationism for him and his son and the people and that, you know. No, he 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 come he, he kind of has a change of heart, you know, which is amazing. Um and the sacrifice, you know, at the end was fantastic cuz we haven't even really talked about the action in this uh, this season and how yeah. how they've really amped it up, you know, but like that whole that whole scene was fantastic. Him taking on three of those like, you know, imperial assassins. The, the the quality of of action on all of these live action series i didn't like book of boba fett but the action sequences were very good um mm -hmm. but i think our best the best starfighter um battle has been in either and or this and then like mm -hmm. some of the all the ground battle has been better than most of the movies i think i think big time big time the, these series these disney plus series are the best star wars that they're they're making these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad about uh, Dave Filoni bringing that out. Um, Shows, do you have anything about Paz Vizsla? Uh, just just that uh, I wish I knew more about him. I, like, I also wondered if he was a character that had he more is backstory. But uh, his family, I, but his family yeah. name does have history in the series. Like his ancestor pre Vizsla, and that was the, the leader of Death Watch um, oh, okay. during the Clone Wars series. You know, so Bo-Katan like, no, knew her. Do his a father or uncle or something like that? I don't. He was yeah. older than Bo-Katan. Yeah, we have to realize when, that Bo-Katan was like a teenager, a teenager. or like an yeah. early twenty-year-old when when the Clone Wars were going on. Like that's crazy that she went through that and that through the. the like she was a warrior, but she was really young. Yeah, you mm -hmm. know. Um. Uh. Just whenever I see uh, a Mandalorian die, like I I want to know what they looked like under their helmet. Oh yeah, you know? I didn't even think about that. You know, yeah. like I was like, are we gonna see who this guy? Because we've seen him for for so long through the series. Is you know, you you just uh, it just got to the point where I'm just like, take off the helmet. I want to see who you are. <laughs> but I guess that goes against the like, especially against his own creed. Mm -hmm. um, he would that character would not want to have been seen under like e even in death. That's he would want to have his helmet on, right? Yeah, that, that's very interesting. I never even thought about that. That's that's crazy. And they, uh, don't they take and, yeah. armor? And then the, pass the, it down? the arm, yeah, like you know, that was the, what happened with the Boba Fett, right? He got his armor from his father, Django. Yeah, uh, yeah, it belongs, it, and I believe Bo Katan's armor came down to her from her family, too. Interesting. Ah, I yeah. want to know, no, ah, now I want to know more. Um, <laughs> we, we do end up getting this, this massive battle with uh, Bo Katan and Moff Gideon, and because there's a lot of you know history there, um, you know. It was it was quite intense this fight and quite personal. What was interesting was that during this fight, the dark saber gets broken, and mm -hmm. you know, the after everything we'd seen in this series, we knew how powerful it was for the the people as a symbol. But Bogotan's like, you know what? That's just a symbol. We're stronger when we're together. And Din Djarin comes in, and they both kick it, kick his ass. 
uh, with Grogu. Let me rephrase. What did you guys think <laughs> of um, the defeat? I'm going to put air quotes of defeat for um, Moff Gideon because we didn't see a body. So I don't know if he's actually dead. Right. No body, no death. And, and he's in the armor. <laughs> yeah, he's in the armor. Although a spaceship landed on him. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Freaking spaceship. I mean, there's got to be a point in which that stuff breaks, right? <laughs> It was fantastic. The battle scene was great, you know, like Dinjar and Bo-Katan and Grogu and that, you know, functioning as this like amazing fighting unit where they're so much better together than apart. Um, you know, Dinjar defeated him, you know, last season on that using the spear and that. Um, but this, this just somehow seemed better in that because also we get to see kind of Grogu coming into fruition, you know. Confident in his Jedi powers, able to contribute, you know, not not just somebody who needs to be protected at all costs and that, but like an effective, you know, fighter and that, and him becoming, you know, Din Djarin's apprentice at the end was just the icing on the cake. But um, it was fantastic, and the breaking of the dark saber in that, I think that was very symbolic about the series as a mm-hmm. whole and that, and what it was trying to accomplish and that, how like these people and their ideologies and that, it's like. Kind of needed you say to. You, you Mandalorians are very weak without your trinkets. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, <clears throat> like, but they, they're not. Yeah, yeah they're, they're more. They're more. They're stronger when they're together. Yeah, uh, and, and they we just friendly. they just needed it to bring people together. I think that's like we learned that like in season two and that when you know we saw Din Djarin fighting without his armor and that against a whole country of people mm-hmm. and hand to hand he was like you know amazing right so yeah. it's like you can put the armor on the person and that but like. You know, being a Mandalorian was so much more to that. It was, it, you know, it, it's it's from childhood up, and that you know the ways of the warrior, uh, and that's why it's why their their civilization was so fractured in that. You know, like the, when like the pacifist movement came to kind of be the popular, you know, um, consensus among the people, and that you know, Death Watch formed because they wanted the old ways. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted the old ways to remain. They didn't want Mandalorians to ever lose that. It's a good like analogy to religion today too. That's, that's yeah. very interesting. But the destruction of the dark saber, and that was like a great way of saying like, you know, some of these beliefs are just, you know, they don't really. They're just keeping us divided, you know. So in a way, getting rid of the dark saber was more poignant. You know, it, there's a new way. You know, it's like you know, they're not tied to this, this stupid saber and that to say who can lead us in that. I think that uh, this reminded me very much of Iron Man 1. Like, it felt like the Iron Man 1 fight because uh, here comes Din Djarin with his with his armor, but then Gideon has the same armor, but he's the bad guy in the same armor. <laughs> it's like that fight at the end of Iron Man and, That's you know, funny. he's about to is about to lose and then and then he's, you know, it, it just, it, it just, for me, it called back that particular battle. That's um, a good reference. It, it, it was neat watching, um, Grogu hopping around using his force training that he'd gotten from uh from some from season two um and and that he was able to play a part in that battle like especially against the three what are those three um soldiers called in red they're like they they're like imperial they're kind of an offshoot of the imperial guards that we knew you know, the they're, they're like the guard. honor guard that would protect the empire emperor and stuff that, right they're yeah. exactly those yeah. yeah right so it was just neat that when he was you know when they were about to to do the, the final blow on on din jarden then then you know the force he was able to use the force and stop the the attack and everything like it was it was just a cool battle to watch and 
And seeing him hopping around reminded me of Yoda from Attack of the Clones, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. just sort of hopping around. But he didn't have any way to fight with it. He was just avoiding all the attacks, right? It's funny because oh, cool. um, um, the the force training that he did was Luke was on Book of Boba Fett. So people don't even, if they didn't watch that show, <laughs> they wouldn't have known that he was, he actually got trained for two years, two years with yeah. Luke. Um, those are, uh, the Red Guards are called Praetorians. Um, I okay. Um, I had to go, okay. I was yeah. like Greek what guards Greek were they Roman guards I can't Praetorians that's the one um I yeah I I loved it I thought I thought that the 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 smashing of the that symbol was very after watching Clone Wars and the importance of that and Rebels where it's even more important um to see that that icon just crumble was jarring but it also it gave so much possibilities for this for these people like they don't have to follow that for for leadership they need to find a person that can talk to everyone and they found that in Bo-Katan I think that's great mm-hmm. so at the end of the episode everything is happy um you know the the great forge is relit they baptize those kids on uh on Mandalore Din adopts Grogu um, so that he can have him as his apprentice. Um, we we see that um, Din and Grogu go back to doing bounties again. They go they go, they go see Appa. They go see Appa for the New Republic, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which is you know sort of a callback to um, the first season. And then we go back to Navarro, where Grief Karga is like, "You've done so much for us." We're going to give you some land and a little house that's just outside of the city. So you don't have to chill out over here because we have our own bodyguard. We have IG 11 again. Yeah. Welcome back. <laughs> um, just so that, you know, uh, <laughs> Taika could get a little bit more. Remember they were looking for that part yeah. from the first episode and then they find it hanging up in the, in the bar, uh, <laughs> in the bar, mm-hmm. the new Republic bar. Yeah. There's yeah. I'm going to take that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we see at the end of the episode, Grogu and, then Jaren just chilling out on his farm, on his in his homestead, little circle wipe out. It really and felt no, it really felt like the end of the whole series. Like it there felt, was no after credits scene either. No, it felt like this was the the story of the Mandalorian. He started as this lone person, and now he's here. He's happy. He's the gunslinger that that actually came home. My question for you, other than all of that, how would you think? But would you be fine with this being the end of the Mandalorian? Fine. If they concluded at this point, you know, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be, you know, a Western doesn't always have to end like Shane. Yeah. Or <laughs> Shane, Shane, come back. Well, he can't come back. You know, even though you see him riding away on the horse, he's actually dead. <laughs> um, so if, if, it, if this was the end of it, I would be happy at that because, you know, it's like, it, this is our return of the Jedi ending, right? Yeah, you know, where like you know, everything's you know they're celebrating in that you know they have new you know new things are happening in that you know the old culture of the Mandalore is kind of peeled, the forge is relit you know and he gets to go chill with you know his apprentice you know I mean like they spent like the entirety of season one uh, being hunted you know no safe spots you know uh, episode four of season one and that you know the you know the that woman talked to, to Din Djarin about the possibility of them, you know, just settling down and just, you know, not having to leave, you know, he, you know, something he would have enjoyed, especially for Grogu. Now it's something he can actually offer him. 
Yeah, and he can still do what he enjoys. He's he's a bounty hunter by trade, and he can do what he enjoys, but now he's doing it for the cause of good, right? He's yeah. working for the New Republic, hunting down Imperials. Yep. <clears throat> so he's actually doing good work. Um, it's it, it almost feels like nowadays in, in any kind of literature, any kind of, of storytelling, we, we don't get an ending anymore. Um, everything just sort of, if you can, there's going to be a sequel. There's going to be a prequel. There's going to be many sequels. And, and things are just going to keep on going. So, um, and when we get to, to Picard, um, the the post credit sequence at the end of, of Picard season three uh, kind of felt a little bit like a. a, a I, I didn't really. We'll get to we'll get to there, but I didn't really like how it kind of boiled an ending from season two um, a little bit. But um, I, I feel like if if this was the ending for for the Mandalorian story, I think that would be a great place to end it. It doesn't mean that character has to be gone. That character can show up in other opportunities, um, in other stories that connect if Boba Fett continues or if other stories continue like, uh, like Ahsoka or anything like that, uh, the character can return. But, but that arc, that arc seems to have a satisfying place to stop. I agree. Like we don't have to have the Mandalorian still going out on adventures. Like I don't need to see that. I, I'm happy with them being where they are and being sort of happy. Do I want to see him again? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I would love to see him and I would love to see more Bo-Katan. I want to know what happens to Mandalore now. I'm more interested in that than seeing him go off and do bounties for fun. Even if they skipped ahead a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Like if you could see sort of Grogu 10 years later, 20 years later or yeah. something like that. Agreed. Like what, what What is that life like with them after Grogu finally maybe is able to speak? Or Grogu is able to to do more um, under the sort of mentorship of of uh, of the Mandalorian. Well, we know that um, because of Celebration 2023, Star Wars Celebration, that Dave Filoni is getting his own movie to wrap up all of his storylines. And he has Ahsoka. He has this. He has. I don't know if Skeleton Crew is going to be part of that or. Or the, I, that feels like something different altogether. Yeah, but but I think mostly the the storyline that he started in Rebels is going to conclude around then. And I I I would love all these people to just come back together to have this giant adventure. I'm sort of sad that the he, it's ending on a movie instead of a giant crossover series. But I yeah I'm I'm fine with the movie too. I guess. Sure. Yeah, I still I still don't think it's the end though. And I mean, there were some rumors going around. I think that like even Favreau said in that. Yeah, I've written season four already. You know, it's I'm, already filmed. It's I'm already fine written. With that too. I'm yeah. fine with that. Yeah. Um, I would. I didn't even think about a time jump. I would love to see a bigger Grogu, sort of like a bigger Groot. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. T- teenage Groot. <laughs> uh, overall, one to ten. What would you give this season, Hawk? Oh, I give it a good. I give it a good nine as yeah. far as like yeah. It yeah. was it was it was a high it was one of the highlights of my of my week you know yeah. for eight weeks in a row. Damn straight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Shows. I'm gonna go eight. Eight. I'm gonna go eight. Yes. Nice. Nice. Good solid season. Uh, solid I'm, season. I'm gonna also go with nine. I'm a big Rebels and Clone Wars fan, so this brought a lot of stuff in that I was just like, thumbs up. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. All right, welcome back to Geeks with Kids. We are now talking about Picard Season 3, which premiered on February 16th, 2023, and just finished on April 20th, literally a day after Mandalorian. Um, This is the third and final season of um, Picard, and this year it was show run by um, Terry Metalis, who you may know from 12 Monkeys. He also worked on a lot of Season 2. 
and they liked what his work was and then they brought him on to to finish it finish out this uh third season before we get into the the episode review i i, I want to know what your reaction was because everyone after season two were just, most people were like ah okay i guess it ended mm. and then they announced season three and then they're like you know what we're bringing back the tng cast mm. um what'd you guys think <laughs> <laughs> well first up you know i had you know obviously we've covered this on our other podcast and that strange new pod and that we covered both seasons of Picard on there. And, you know, my reactions were less than favorable, uh, in particular. I think everyone's one. reviews were less than favorable. <laughs> it just seemed like it, it started good, uh, had an interesting premise in that, but then seemed to lose track, you know, especially, you know, midway and then through into the finales and that. And, and, uh, the finales just felt like rushing past, you know, that, what do they call it? Not a victory lap, but, past you know, the post. they just, yeah, it just like, you know, they just wanted to get to the end as fast as they could. Um, season three was way different. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it felt like, it felt like a 10 hour movie as we've we'll, said. We'll, we'll get to that, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it did everything right and left me feeling, you know, the same way I did when I was 12 years old watching a TNG for the first time. Shouts, what did you think of when they announced the TNG cast? <clears throat> okay, I was so excited. <laughs> like, just, like, the initial announcement that they were going to do it, and then when we started getting the little teasers, we started hearing just their voices, and then we started seeing just, like, screenshots. Like, we got the face, the faces, like, the, you know, Worf with his older face and everything. Oh, yeah. And and then what they did with Brent Spiner's um, with the big reveal, making you believe that we're going we're going straight lore, and um, uh, it, it was just it was it, the hype was there. It was I was so excited for this show, and just like Hawk said, it delivered. It so delivered. Yes, uh, that was what I said when I heard that the TNG cast was coming back. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I've wanted mm. since the first time they announced Picard. Um, I am not a fan of season one or two at mm. all. I'm not going to watch them again. I don't need to. Um, after watching yeah, this I, d- season, I didn't buy either of the Blu-rays for either of those. Sets. That's a big but thing. Because I, I know you. buy three. Because I yeah. know you and I know you love um, Star oh, Trek I... so much. So the fact that you didn't buy that, that, that says a lot. That says a lot. I have a lot of Blu-rays and DVDs <laughs> of Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. And you keep on buying them because they keep on open, uh, putting out new formats. Um, oh, yeah. So we get like this. They, yeah. yeah, no, go for it. I say, like, what they did well was they did expand the universe a, 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 you know, in, in certain ways. You know, we are introduced to in some very interesting aspects in that. The Kuatma lot, you know, yeah. um, the XBs and that and the project of the, you know, recovering, like, you know, people who have been captured by the Borg. I think the oh, issue yeah. with the first two seasons is that it happened, but there are no ramifications from it, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's almost like the whole thing was retconned. They were, yeah. or just self-contained. Like they yeah. they they mentioned the Jurati Borg, and but yeah, they're just they're just yeah, guarding, they're there, but they're, they're not they're not important. They're guarding <laughs> that that portal thing. That's all they do. They don't do anything yeah. else. They just guard. Yeah, don't let's not talk about them anymore. They're fine. Um, yeah. so this season starts off with a mystery, and really that's what the first third of the show it's a mystery because we find out that beverly has sent picard a sos signal on, through an, on an old communicator on an old tng era uh combat which i should have brought out and popped on the screen um and picard you know 
he hears this message. He hears, he knows that Beverly hasn't talked to him in 20 ish years. Um, so he's, he's intrigued, but he doesn't understand what this, this message is. So he goes to the one person that everyone would go to, at least this is the person I would go to. And that's commander Will Riker. Mm. And he finds out that because of the Locutus incident, they had this, they have this means of communicating with in code so that, you know, they could, they could send things out in distress and they get this coordinates, but they can't get anywhere because they're retired. So what's their plan? Let's commandeer a vehicle. Let's commandeer the Titan. Why? Because we know someone on board. We know commander seven of nine who mm. now is called, um, commander Hanson because of a certain captain Shaw. Mm-hmm. And they end up going to this section of space, commandeering the 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 spaceship without Shaw's uh, knowledge, and we find out that Beverly has a son, and that's the mystery that that's the first episode of Picard. Um, what do you think of this start off? I know I said I was going to break this down in thirds, but the the first episode really captures the spirit of the whole season. Yeah, it was great in laying down the foundation of what uh, what the series and the plot of the series would build on. You know, you know Picard answering that you know that distress call and that um, uh, taking it to Will because he can't decipher it and that and finding out that the reason he can't decipher it was because of something that happened while he was still you know locutus and that you know you know Hellbird. What does this mean? Uh, it turned out it was a virus that uh, the Borg had infected the Enterprise with, and that, that started inserting random digits onto the end of computer code, and that to try and disrupt their systems. So, uh, with that in mind, they get the coordinates. Um, I, I I love the way it built it. Uh, you know, seeing Riker and you know Picard at where their stations were at, and how like in Starfleet at that particular time. Uh, also introduced us to one of the most memorable characters I think we've been introduced to in a long time, and uh, Captain Liam Shaw, and that played by the incomparable Todd Stashwick, who made one hell of a first impression in that he episode. Did. did he not? He did. And now yes. he has a second no meme <laughs> based on him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any more, or should we talk to shows? Shows. I think talk to shows. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So right right away with the nostalgia, the the picture of of the, of the Enterprise that they were in, in, you know, Chateau Picard. They were they were taking down the picture of the Enterprise, and and he said, you know, send that to Jordy at the Fleet Museum. Commodore like, me- Jordy too. Commodore Jordy. Like, yeah, wow, right. he's he's gone off in ranks. <laughs> so they're just starting to throw stuff at us right from the beginning. But but the cool part about it was they they started throwing things at the beginning, knowing that people were going to be picking the episode apart piece by piece. Mm-hmm. And, and so right away, you know, shows like screen crush that could go through frame by frame, scene by scene and help you see things that, that, you know, you might've missed the first time just, you know, cause were, they were have a writing staff. With, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, I thought, I thought this, uh, this episode was amazing. I thought, I know that Star Trek shows have really, really, have a good way of starting off so Mm -hmm. so i was like okay i know i'm gonna get hooked after the first episode anyway but this was the first time i actually felt like i was watching a star trek show there's air quotes there because this felt like it was right in line with tng season seven yeah it it felt like if if that had if they had a a season or a card that right before that said you know what this happens just 25 years later 
Um, yeah. I'd be like, okay, yeah, I, I believe that this is by the same writing crew, the same people who shot things. They were doing shots that looked exactly the same as TNG shots. Like, mm. that's amazing. Um, but they also included the Raffi stuff in this episode, too. Yeah. Like, the, mm-hmm. the, the getting, the, the, the whole underworld, the criminal underworld, you had to sort of get her, mm-hmm. her um, role sort we'll of talk, set up for this season. We'll talk about her storyline in a separate section, because I think, really, this first half about him finding Jack is really the 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 main thing i think okay i think raffi and wharf as much as i love their storyline isn't really important until they they hook up with picard and crew unfortunately it, it almost felt like the portal device as cool as it was was just kind of a plot device for a you know what? Of episodes let's just it go into a, that now because it, it was literally a red herring in yeah, that in yeah. both the terms of what the changelings were you know well, well, well yeah. it's spoiling we're spoiling anyway okay yeah spoiling anyway. and what the changelings used it for as a distraction and what it was you know the the way it was a red herring for us and that yeah. kind of it's like ooh, is this you know the big threat that's coming you know because they just destroyed the whole like you know Starfleet cadet like training yeah. building and that was it. So basically what we found out at the at the beginning is and really this is the first I want to say four or five episodes with Rafi is that she's sort of on this manhunt because uh she knows that uh weapons of mass destruction have gone missing. And so she's following the the clue. She's she's working for Starfleet Intelligence, which is a great it was a great evolution of her character based on what we've seen in the last two seasons of Picard. And and her and Seven are not together anymore. Yeah. See, so nothing really is important from the first two seasons because you don't need to know anything about that. Um, so she is is on this hunt, and she she has this mysterious handler, which we find out later is Worf. Mm-hmm. But as she as she continues down the trail, she finds out that this portal weapon that was really just used to to do this distraction, and then I guess to give it to Vatic's ship as mm-hmm. well, or they have a separate one. I think it's the same portal weapon. Anyway, um, all of that was just a distraction for what we find out later had happened at the Daystrom Institute. What do you think of um, their storyline before they meet up with Picard and crew? Into it, I love this storyline in that um, Raffi for the first two seasons was an interesting character, but they did tend to sideline her a bit in that with like you know everything else that was going on she had her alcoholism and she had her drug problems and which is kind of a new territory in that for star trek characters you know because we always think of these perfect you know like captains and commanders and that you know they sort of play on that in the first episode too because she's undercover with drug dealers but we don't know that she's undercover Mm -hmm. she's just using yeah but she, you know, but she, it's, it's an area that star of the universe Starfleet can't enter, you know, the criminal underworld, none, which made her kind of perfect for it because like, you know, spycraft was her, her main forte and that she worked the Romulan desk for years for Starfleet, you know, she was the one who figured it out. Like, you know, the whole thing with, a uh, utopia, you know, planitia and that, that it was, that it was Romulus, but nobody would listen to her. Um, but this seemed like the kind of avenue in that that she could be best utilized in, you know, going undercover. She had the pedigree for it, obviously, with her addiction issues and that. And, you know, so they took the elements of the character that, you know, that had been thrown at them for season one and two and found a great way of using it, you know. Uh, and as you said, like the mysterious handler being a wharf and that, you know, it's it's revealed. It's dramatically revealed that he is her handler. Yeah. 
because <laughs> she gets in that she gets into some very serious trouble on that with a, a particularly nasty Ferengi. Yeah, and he sort she sort of seems like a younger wharf, right? Mm-hmm. She he was like old, a wharf apprentice. Yeah, well, that's what she ends up becoming. But oh. he's he's at this Jedi uh, master level of uh, calm, whereas when <laughs> when we I remember him being so much a little bit more hot headed when he was on TNG, and that's sort of where Raffi is. To a yeah. to an nth degree, Shouse. What did you think of this? Uh, her journey to meeting Worf and it was such? just neat. Just the the underworld stuff was really cool. The yeah. the the crime boss Vulcan was really neat. I really enjoyed watching him. Um, you know she, how logical it is to to ha- to be involved with organized crime and everything like that. Um, it was it was cool um, seeing that that they're they're. The, 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 they're, they were building a bunch of stories that all connected together at the end. But mm. um, I think that the, the portal device was uh, was kind of a wasted opportunity a little bit. I, I really enjoyed how it was used in the space combat. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it was like, oh, this is going to change everything. And then they're like, let's just jettison it and forget about it. <laughs> we'll know? talk about uh, We'll talk about <laughs> Vatic in a, in a little bit. I, I, I agree. I, I liked I liked the pairing of Worf and Raffi. I think that was mm-hmm. a great way to have them back. Ba- they were yin and yang the whole way through. And I love that. I loved it so much. Um, meanwhile, somewhere else in the galaxy, <laughs> we get uh, Picard and company finding Beverly's ship and bum, bum, bum. There's another boy on there. Another boy. There's someone on there with Beverly. It's Beverly's son. What? A 20-ish mm. year old son. Who Wesley knew? Crusher. Not Wesley. Nope. Wesley, no. no. Wesley's <laughs> off. He can't talk to anyone. I don't know if you saw. Um, they did an interview with him, and they're like, "Why didn't Why didn't Wesley show up in season three? He's like, you know, as a traveler, the as when you accept becoming a traveler, you have to realize that they have to give away, they have to not touch their previous life because if they do go towards it, they may try and influence that, mm-hmm. and that's not what the travelers do. They they work on, you know giant they're, they're focused on the tapestry not yeah. the seams yeah exactly and they can't they can't be distracted by by the the family which is sad but you know i understand yeah. <laughs> so um we find out that jack bam is picard's son which, After- which they, they really they really didn't try to hide too much they did like, not i mean and it was very and Will, even Riker was like, really? You Riker right away. He was like, come <laughs> on, man. We know what you guys did 20 ish years ago. Um, what'd you guys think about Jack being revealed as uh, Picard's son? I, I really love the character of Jack Crusher and the actor who played him, Ed Spieler. He did a mm-hmm. great job. You know, he reminded me of like what Picard would have been like probably if he didn't get that Nausicaan blade through the chest. Yes. Yeah. You're right. right. I didn't even think about that. It's like char- all the charm and the roguishness and that, which apparently Picard was famed for in the Academy and that, and only he's out with his mother in the galaxy and that, and like, you know, he's not, a, he's and not a being, not being a rascal thief or anything. Like that. He's actually helping people. He's, he's you know? very you, smart. You, you get to see a little bit of it though, when he's dealing with the Fenris Rangers Yeah, mm-hmm. and you can tell he's very street smart. Yeah. Like yes. he knows how to talk to people. He knows how to influence people. He he's knows Han how to Solo. get himself out of a jam, right? He's Han Solo yeah. in Star Wars or in Star Trek. Yeah. 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 
uh, it was a great introduction to a character in that. And, you know, one of the, one of the parts of Picard's life, they, you know, that had always seemed like an afterthought, you know, it's, I know they talked about it like a lot, you know, in season two and that about why he never got married and, you know, felt like, you know, always pushing people away and that, and, you know, but this was the missing piece in Picard's tapestry. Yeah. Reference. Yeah. Yeah. And his tapestry hasn't burned up like his previous family. Um, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Ouch. Oh, all right. Too, too soon. Too, too soon. soon. <laughs> so what do you think of, um, as Spielers as, um, as, uh, he, was, he was awesome. Yeah. He was awesome. He was, he was charming. He was funny. He was interesting to watch anytime he, he showed up on screen. It, it was, it was cool. Um, uh, we'll get into probably more about how he interacted with some of the other characters on the Titan and Maybe. stuff later, but we'll see. you know, he, he was, he was just, he, he was just that suave kind of like, you know, the Han Solo. He was, he was cool. He was, he, he's probably my, one of my favorite additions to Star Trek in a long time. Like he was. And, and if, and if things continue, which we all hope will. Then, hashtag then he, then Star Trek legacy. Hashtag Star Trek legacy. Um, then, then maybe we'll get to see more of him. Yeah. Damn straight. Um, we find out that Jack has been hunted, or at least has been recently being hunted by this amazing character called Vadic, played by Amanda Plummer, who is already Star Trek royalty because mm. she's the daughter of Christopher Plummer, who was in Star Trek Six. Um, uh, and she really, <laughs> she really channeled her her dad this whole season. Um, she was so good. <laughs> and for for what seemed like episodes. Um, the Titan was just running and running and running from Vatic, and she was relentless. Um, what do you think of this unknown? We didn't really find out what she was for a couple, quite a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Vatic as a bad guy? And then, wait, so, you know what? I'm just going to continue on. We find out she's a changeling, and mm. that changelings are the bad guys of this season. Yeah. Hawk. Great character, great enemy, and she just played it with all you know that menacing joy, you know mm-hmm. that she's kind of famed for in her movies, you know. Because as soon as she was announced as a villain, I know like all the Honey Bunny memes from Pulp Fiction started <laughs> yep. to really come out. It's like, <laughs> oh, Honey Bunny! <laughs> but this is what she does. She plays really good villains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said joyful to to it in a certain way and that she really had picard's number and the titans crew and throughout the entire like episode of you know in the nebulous when when, yeah. when they were hunting the titan and kept on doing the portal gun yeah she had mm. so much fun like the mm. joy on vatic not just amanda Plummer, but vatic's face that she was screwing with them the whole time yeah, yeah. Yeah, Man. and then finding out her backstory and like why she why it wasn't why it wasn't so much she was like you know just blowing them out of the water and that you know she wanted to hurt them and peck at them as she said like a shrike you know yeah uh, which her ship was named after yeah. uh, and we find out her backstory as what? a changeling captured by Section Thirty One and experimented on tortured tortured. You know, a a great little reference, actually, to DS9. And there was that episode with uh, regarding when Odo um, reconnected with the the man who found him as a gelatinous blob and and applied a lot of the same kind of techniques to him Mm -hmm. to get him to, like, you know, just even react. Yeah. yeah. But finding out that Section 31 was trying to weaponize the changelings into, like, Starfleet, perfect Starfleet spies and infiltrators. Brutal. 
Yeah. Kind of gets you a little excited for whatever the Section 31 movie is going to look like. Oh, my God. Right? When, when that comes out. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you guys, I was spoiled a little bit um, in, in this first, was it the first or the second episode? Because I like to watch with subtitles on. And mm-hmm. I was watching it on TV, the oh, broadcast on TV. And it popped up uh, when, when the, the, you know, when Vatic was talking to her minions on the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the minions were responding. So it popped up and it said, Changeling. You know, uh, colon, uh, garbled, garbled yeah. language. They did that on uh, Crave. And they it's did like, did they? Yeah. And it's like, you're going to, Changeling? Like, they, they had said that before. Like, so that was, that was a spoil for anybody who was watching it with subtitles. And, and so, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that, that certainly wasn't caught. But I mean, I wasn't any less excited about it. But then I started going into all of these weird theories that were popping up on the internet about who were the changelings and, and if they were the big bad of the episode, you know, uh, which of the TNG crew were actually changelings and trying to infiltrate Picard's ship and all this stuff. Like the, it, it really went on this weird kind of rabbit hole. Um, but going back to sort of Amanda Plummer and her her portrayal of Vatic, like it was it was a masterpiece. It was just so good. And later on in the in the in the series or in the show, we get to see uh, when she when she's on board um, the Titan and and she's you know she's the captain of the Titan and she's uh, really torturing the Titan's crew and and terrifying them and and like it's just it, it, she she was so unsettling in 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 such an excellent way. I mean, it makes sense that she was doing that to them, like. I, I never thought that I would feel like empathy for her. Like we heard mm. her story about how she was tortured and who wouldn't get rad- radicalized after that. Right. Like yeah. they she made just hated all solids. They made their enemy by doing that. Like yeah. it's their fault. They're, and I don't yeah. think the Borg and the changelings would have gotten together if there wasn't this sect of, of changelings that were just like, we need any means possible to get back at what, these humans have done to us or these um solids have done to us like yeah that's fascinating that's like like yeah because like you know with the changelings that we, you know what we knew of them like from ds9 and that you know they were like this you know for the most part like you know the, they were content with pacifism and that but it was other worlds and that that were kind of trying to invade in their territory that put, caused them to become warlike and have that stance you know yeah um when she started killing her own people, I was thinking changelings aren't allowed to kill other changelings, and that—that's a big rule. Yeah, they took away Odo's shape-shifting powers because of that. Yeah, no, yeah. You know? But then you realize, like, this is how this is. A, these are zealots. This is an entire sect, and that. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these things, like you know, like they sacrifice, they sacrifice lifespans, and that, to, in order to. Um, appropriate these new evolutionary traits and that and being able to take a form and, uh, uh, and replicate it perfectly and even fool the sensors and all the tests that they had come up with you know during the dominion war you know and the, how it was uh odo who was the one who informed Worf that there, there was a new sect of these zealots and that who are trying to hurt starfleet it's it's astounding how how amazing the changeling plot was and the fact that we found out that um, the changeling showed up purely because of the transporter um, chief and the importance of that later on. Yeah. It was, it was such a brilliant, um, a brilliant means of, of, uh, of bringing in this, this character that I'd never thought, or these, uh, these, the species that I'd never thought was going to ever come back ever, ever. And they came back, they came back evolved. 
they came yeah, back yeah. new. They yeah. right? They 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 were undetectable. And didn't they have this ability to change other changelings to have that same ability? Yeah. Is yes. that how she described it? She was yeah, she was one. She escaped from the lab. I I know that there was probably Her a couple nine. others. Her and nine yeah. and that, but uh, others they they found other changelings and that unchanged uh, the way they were, who were still angry about the way like the you know, the you know what had happened to them with the Dominion War, um, and that they made a compact with them and that it's like we can give you these abilities that will allow you to defeat your enemy and that it's going to shorten your lifespan, you won't be who you were before and that, but we will have our revenge, and that's a radicalization that can only happen after someone else has done something terrible mm-hmm. right um so yeah. so they're hunting jack and we don't know why and we don't know why but it's relentless there's there's a there's a point at the in the series where the titan is adrift and just going to die in this nebula and we we see that this that vatic is talking to this head this random head and it tells her that she has to get jack by any means possible. So there's sort of this importance to, to Jack that we don't quite understand. But as the series unfolds, we, we see that Jack's getting these visions and that he's he's he sort of has these powers that he can control people or he can read the minds of people. It starts happening with Sidney LaForge. We find out that the helmsman of the Titan A is the daughter, is one of the daughters of Jordy LaForge. Amazing. Um, but... She has this connection with Jack, not just because he can read her mind, but because he can also swoon the ladies. Yeah, there's a little bit of a romantic connection there. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about this? Um, all of a sudden, Jack having these these visions and these these powers, which were yeah. which were actually quite instrumental to the the end of Vatic. Like, uh, like uh, Vatic dies. We know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What What do you yeah. What do you think about this? And and about Vatic's death because I think it was an amazing death. I mean, that was the biggest mystery of the series, and that through you know right up until episode nine, you know, is like what was Jack? Because he wasn't. He you know, we had heard that you know we found out that he had eromotic syndrome, which was passed down to him from Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you know, not in this way, and that you know. Nothing about neuromotic syndrome was you know, gives you telepathic abilities. And that obviously, you know, with Picard, it caused you know, in all good things, we know it caused like irrational emotions, hallucinations. It was very frightening, and it's a very terrible way to die. Uh, now we found out that Jack apparently has it. Um, but you know, as we learn, it's they've misdiagnosed it, you know, they base it all on symptoms and that and misdiagnose the actual cause. Uh, the Ermotic Syndrome was not the Ermotic Syndrome. But like I said, it was the biggest mystery in that because Jack was, you know, experiencing hallucinations about these tendrils that were just growing up everywhere yeah. into people, into structures everywhere. And then on top of that, a, a red door that he had always been afraid his entire life to open. And we get mm. to talk about that at the end of this yes. episode. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Sure. What do you think about Superpower Jack? Uh, it was... <laughs> Okay, so we're also. Oh wait, talk and about... the end of Vatic. What did you think of and, that? And, like, and the end... um, yeah, do you want to do you want to say that Hawk? What you thought about Vatic dying? I, it was a good death. I think it was a good day <laughs> for her to die. <laughs> I, there was a, it was one of the most tense episodes. In that, her taking the whole bridge crew hostage and that to force Jack to come to her. You know, and like the whole thing about randomly going around and that and picking which person was going to die and that you know 
one person an hour until you decide to finally do it and just toying with the crew. Uh, and then uh, and then the randomness and taking out Taveen, which, uh, you know, I was re- we were all starting to really like Taveen as a I character. She, yeah. I have I have issues with they well he she took two Asian characters and was like I, I was know. like these are the only two Asian people on in this show please don't kill one of them <laughs> and then I was like oh but you killed Tavine yeah <laughs> I know. I, I, oh man <laughs> there was no Poor good Tavine. there <laughs> sorry first shows anyway it was a good death is what you're saying it was a good death it was amazing yeah we we um. We, we've been getting some interesting references I find in this Star Trek series, um, specifically things that you don't see in a lot of other series, like swearing, for example, mm-hmm. um, which which I was for because I don't think that cursing is something that would have necessarily vanished in the in the future. I agree. Right. So so you know when when she was like you know um, uh, effing solids or whatever as she as you she can swear on this show. It's okay. We got, we got that. We got the little explicit thing. On We've thing. always had an explicit. Nice. Thing okay. Yeah. So she goes like fucking solids, and then she gets sucked out. It's like awesome. You know, it's they they even make references earlier in the series to like uh, marijuana and stuff like that that, yeah. that they never really talked about in Star Trek, right? So it was kind of an interesting an interesting thing there with like it was kind of a funny but also awesome kind of death. She sort of flies through space and then hits the the hits her ship and explodes into tiny pieces. Yes. Right. So it was a really cool way for her to die. Um, but but we knew that she was like as powerful as she was. Um, she was scared of that floating head uh, that was telling her what to do. And, and there's even a point where where that head was torturing, torturing her. Yeah. And so um, there was another big bad that was being kind of uh, hinted at before we were aware of where, where that was going. Um, but uh it, it, it's neat that that all connects with with Jack's uh, superpowers, and and there was a lot of talk about um, the Paul Wraiths being what was yes. going on. You know that uh, if we're talking about changelings, then we're digging into the Deep Space Nine repertoire a little bit, and he's got the red glowing eyes. Are we are we dealing with with a possessed? You know, like when Gul Dukat was possessed by the Paul Wraith, right? Or so, Jake Sisko. Yeah, yeah. So it was a it w- it was an interesting kind of diversion. Um, but it was it, it was uh, it was cool as he was discovering them like a superhero origin story. He was mm-hmm. discovering yeah. them as he was going. It, it's funny because I jumped way ahead and I didn't mean to, because um, there was a lot that happened before Vadic died. Um, because we had found out that the the changelings had come and infiltrated this ship, but really we didn't know that how how deep that went until we saw the return of Rolaren. Who had we'd last seen on TNG years ago, and and the last time we saw her, she had a phaser on uh, Will Riker, and yeah. just like effed yeah. off to become part of the McKee. Um, here, there, it it's hard to put to words how important she was to this series, even though mm-hmm. it was just a brief, um, a brief appearance because she unfortunately dies, but. Uh, before that, she she tells she she comes to terms with Picard, and Picard comes to terms with her about how the relationship had evolved and sort of dissolved over the course of TNG. And she really was that daughter figure to him, unfortunately. Um, and she was more important here because she was the head of not the head of. Intelligence Central or Starfleet Intelligence, but she was one of the people of Starfleet Intelligence that was working with Worf and Raffi 
to uncover this plot. And she was the one that found out that Starfleet from the highest ranks down to the lowest, um, lower decks, uh, have become, there have been, uh, changelings on all of these ships. Um, what do you think of the return of Ro Laren? Like it couldn't be stressed enough how important it was, like her character, you know, for someone who was brought in like mid midway through the series, you know, she challenged Picard in a lot of ways in that. And it kind of brought up like a lot of great points about the kind of bureaucracy and the, you know, the way Starfleet, you know, would have favored peace over, you know, act, you know, human rights. You know, they, they, they kept their oh, peace yeah. accord with the Cardassians and that while Bajorans were suffering uh, under, you know, the, you know, well, under Cardassian rule. Um, and she challenged Picard and that, and she brought out like, you know, I think, you know, a, a, Kind of reminded him of that, yeah, uh, of of these things that you know he was willing to kind of whatever um, sacrifice, but yeah, f- yeah, for exactly. the greater good, I guess. Yeah, the greater good. Um, and she was in the second. I think it was the second last episode in that before all good things. Uh, second was I her think final was, appearance, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, she was in. She was. She was an important part of the series and that, you know, even in the small number of episodes that she did appear in, her appearance was just like, it was shocking to me. I had no idea she yeah. was, she had returned for the role, you know, Michelle Forbes, you know, she, you know, uh, had kind of moved on, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I think she kind of, you know, realized early on that, you know, Star Trek could, was a great thing, but it was, it could also be a curse if you're a working actor and that, you yeah. know, cause it's like, it tended to typecast you into a certain role, mm-hmm. you know, as and then know, she jumped she on up. the Battlestar. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Battlestar fucking ruled, and she yeah. knew that. It's true. Um, but yeah, like she was offered, what was it? She was offered like uh, Deep Space Nine, right? Yeah, yeah she In the role that N- Nana Visitor would later, you know, make into Kira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, so like her return was just shocking, unbelievable, and to you know, to say the least. And the fact that it was like one of, one of the most heartbreaking episodes of the season, you know, where she, you know, her and Picard trying to suss each other out, trying to figure out if if they were who they were actually say they were, you know, because at this point Picard knew that changelings were afoot, yeah, and that you know, Ro showing up out of the blue and being in Starfleet at all without his knowledge, yeah, you know. You broke my yeah. heart. You broke mine. Oh, get, that kills me. I know. I'm getting goosebumps uh, just thinking about that. that but that it, 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 it was a great appearance. You know, I know people were upset and sad that she died and that, but like, you know, she did what she wanted to do with that character, you know, coming back for that one last ride. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, to sort of close, like this, this series was, a, a lot of this season was about closing off uh, loose threads. Mm-hmm. Uh, properly closing off loose threads in in the next generation, and and they did they did a great job with some of the bigger ones, and and this is an example of a smaller one that they did a good job on, just making sure that um, some of these characters get a proper send off. Um, yeah. Now she she was sort of killed off, but she also was able to to have that um, connection with Picard before it happened that that needed to happen. I think. Um, so it was it was also super exciting to see her appear. Yeah. So on a on a side note. Terry Metalis had said um, in a recent interview that they wanted to do a lot of things um, in the later episodes, but ran out of budget and, you know, mm-hmm. time. And one of them was to see Ro Laren and Tuvok in a changeling jail. So she had actually survived the, the 
the shuttlecraft explosion. Um, so take that as you will. I don't believe I, I don't, I like her sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a fitting end to her character, uh, and her story arc. So, but I'm not going to be sad if I see her again, <laughs> to be honest about that. Um, she was, I like that she was the one that ended up bringing, um, Worf and Raffi back to Picard because they had been separated for so long. And we had heard that the TNG cast was getting back together, but they had all been separated so far. So Worf and Raffi end up joining the crew and continuing their, their, their mission on finding out about the changing threat. This is all before Vatic died. I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. Um, but because of this giant threat and the fact that the changelings know that uh, the Titan and crew know what's going on, they're getting hunted. So they go and hide amongst the Starfleet Museum. And we get mm-hmm. to see Commodore LaForge. And he gets to come on board, um, have words with his daughter. You know, they, they have a, um, a little bit of strife. But things happen. They take a, <laughs> um, what's it called? A cloak from an old ship. And we get to we get to have Jordy join the crew and it just it, man I don't I, I'm, I'm trying to just piece together all the happiness I have because at, from this point forward we start getting more and more TNG cast we find out that they need to go to Daystrom because there had been a break-in but there was um there was a uh, security system that was in the way we find out that security system was data mm-hmm. uh, and they end up taking data and bring him back to the ship. And there's this beautiful scene where this new Android who is going to be uh, another Sung, ended up putting in data's half and, um, lore's half Lores. as well as some other bits and pieces of the other, um, androids in there. But the main Me. two personalities were lore and data because they were the yin and the yang, a lot of yin and yang this season. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And they end up becoming integrated into one being. And I have a hard time saying it's data because he's more than data. What do you think of Brent Spiner, his multitude of parts in, in this season and how he sort of built this data that's more human than human? I couldn't, you know, I knew I, I get, as we mentioned in that with the trailers and that we thought it was just going to be, you know, lore and maybe a conclusion to lore as a storyline in the series and that. But then again, it's like, why is he so old in the trailers? I like this a lot better. I didn't even know I wanted data back this badly after like, you know, season one kind of seemed to conclude his storyline more properly than Nemesis did, you know, with giving data an actual death that he could experience you know yeah. something he actually wanted to experience yeah that was the best that we, part of season one was his death it was it was uh and the fact that like they've managed to figure out a way to bring data back into the series and like they did a good job it felt know? like and they, and they made him human they what, what he always wanted yeah yeah like the golem body that you know was given to picard you know was you know they had created one for, you know, Sung had created one for Data and that, but unfortunately he had died before he had really finished the work. You know, he took like all the, you know, not just Data, not just Lore, but also B4, LOL, and even components of his own personality and put them all into this, into this new being and that, you know, 
which was kind of like the big leap forward, mm-hmm. you know, for AI and organics. Uh, and then this, we had this amazing story about the fight for control between data and lore, you know, and Brett Spiner. Like, you know, with just a simple nod, a simple turn of his head and that he choices characters, you know, it's like it's mm-hmm. something only he was capable of doing. Yeah. We had his yeah. Gollum and uh, Schmeagol moment and it was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. It's like, it's a storyline I didn't know I wanted until we got it. Mm-hmm. There, there was this amazing sequence between um, Jordy and, and Data where Jordy was finally able to express to Data how he felt when Data died because those two were <sighs> yeah. best friends. And, mm-hmm. and you, you know that there was a lot about how Picard took the death, but you never got to see how Jordy took the death. Exactly. And, that was the right? biggest issue with, I had with season one was that Jordy wasn't there to be part of Data's journey. Oh, man. Yeah. And so he was able, like, Jordy had his own little journey there, too. Like, even the first time we saw him, he kept saying no to Picard. I can't help you. I have to take care of my daughters. They're more important than saving the universe. Like, he had completely different priorities than, you know, he would have had in TNG, right? And mm-hmm. and and then he sort of had to go through that change to figure out that if he didn't do something, he wasn't going to be able to protect his daughters. Well, I, I, I feel like that's in part because of the death of Data. Like, he couldn't protect them. Yeah. So he had to protect all his loved ones from that point forward. I feel like yeah. that was his turning point. It might so when Data was able to, to come back and, 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 and he was able to finally make that reconnection with Data, it's like we got the old LaForge back. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with Hawk completely. Data was incredible. Like the, the, bringing that character back was amazing. It was the only way that you could actually have an older Brent Spiner playing Data and it make any sense because they tried to do it in season one and it still looked awkward. <laughs> put him in the they put him in the makeup and it's like yeah that's no that's yeah. <laughs> you know that's not the face got a little kind of bigger yeah. over the years yeah, yeah. right yeah. And, and so um they found a way to do it and it was a really clever way to do it and it and it fit into the canon it fit into the storyline and and he was just um he, it was just so cool watching those different characters sort of come out of Brent Spiner and 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 all of the references, like here's Spot, you know, and here's and you know here's my hologram of Tasha Yar, yeah, <laughs> you know, all of that stuff, right? Which which she actually said on Twitter, she was happy that that she appeared uh, as a little tribute in the um, in the show too, because uh, they couldn't bring Terry, her back. They couldn't bring her back, but Terry Metalis, um retweeted that or or made some kind of comment about it too, about her being on there, which was really cool. But yeah, yeah, Data being back, LaForge being back, huge. Yeah, and then um, we also have Troy coming back because through a series of events, uh, Vatic's people had taken her hold. But because Vatic is dead, she's back on the crew with uh, with everyone else. And there's only one person that could help Jack see through that red door, and that's Troy. So she does her thing. She helps him out. But does she really help him out? Because as she goes through the door, she opens it and finds out that the Borg were there all along. The the voices that have been talking to Jack the whole time was that of the Borg Queen. Now this was a turn I did not expect. This was yep. unexpected. Um, and it was voiced by Alice. Um, Alice Craig, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so the real threat to were were not necessarily the Changelings. It was the Borg who were working with the Changelings to enact their plan. What was that plan? Assimilate all of Starfleet. At least people that were under 25. Um, what they ended up doing was they ended up stealing Picard's body, the one that had died in season one. And like Hawk was saying, they took part of the brain, which they thought was Aromotic Syndrome, but was actually Borg technology. 
and they implemented that. It seems like a biotechnology, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And they implemented that into the transporter architecture on all the ships in Starfleet. So whenever someone transported, this little piece of code became part of them in their frontal lobe. But because the frontal lobe stops developing after 25, it only affected 25-year-old um, and younger and younger that were in the fleet. Which I didn't realize very clever. It's a very clever way to make the old people save the day. <laughs> exactly. I know. Um, what did we think of this plot um, that the that the queen had devised? Uh, before I answer, I just have to let my dog out for a quick pee. Hold I'm on. gonna let I'm gonna let Shells answer then. Okay. What was the question again? The the <laughs> the, the the plot to to assimilate Starfleet. What was it? What did you think of the transporter plot? So that that was another one of those brilliant like Star Trek moments, right? Yeah. Where you had it being explained by LaForge and Data. The perfect. And they were <laughs> they were pointing at stuff on computer screens using big words. <laughs> yeah, they were walking the crew through the implications of everything. This is a classic TNG episode, right? This is what we were used to seeing uh, week in and week out when you know whatever the 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 problem was that had to be solved by the next gen crew. You know, there was usually some kind of technical or uh, diplomatic solution to it. And it came from the crew working together and figuring things out mm-hmm. and and watching them describe what happened and watching even watching uh, Jordy realize that they had been assimilated. All They were assimilating everyone right under their noses the mm-hmm. whole time. Yeah. I, I also love that whenever they did something that was medical, it was always Beverly and those two together. So the fact that mm-hmm. they had all three of them being like, wait a minute. This is working off this. So you get the 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 engineering like uh, masterminds working together mm-hmm. and then the medical one that's right beside them being like, wait a minute, what if they do this and this? And they were all working out this this problem together. Mm-hmm. Beverly Crusher didn't get much to do in those last couple films. So the fact yeah. that she was working with Jordy and Data to figure out what the transporters were doing to yeah. everyone, I thought that was brilliant. I she Gates oh, Crusher, Crusher became so badass in yeah. in this in this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I thought it was an amazing way to to take over ships. Um, yeah. Hawk, what did you think of the transporter plot? Uh, the transporter plot was great. First up, like I I was the one kind of saying all season long, it wasn't can't be the Borg. You know, everybody was saying it's got to be the Borg. You know, I like, didn't want like, it to be the Borg because we had done the Borg so many times. <laughs> right, but then when you look back, well, at resistance it, like, is futile. You know, it's like <laughs> season one, it was in Borg weren't really the villain that they were like a part of the plot, you know, with the XBs and that, you know, in a way of reintroducing seven to us and that, you know, um, season two, you know, the Borg were the Borg queen was, you know, very much a plot, but turned out, you know, as kind of a central villain was kind of co-opted by like, you know, Gerardi and turned into something else, you know, turned into like the, you know, the build back better Borg as we keep calling them. Um, so the fact that they brought the Borg back, I was hesitant at first when I saw them and that, but at the same time, once I saw the ship behind the door, I was like, I was there. I was intrigued. Yep. You know, I was like, Oh my God, it is true. Jed, something about his DNA has, is, you know, it's the Borg. And it makes sense because, you know, it's like you're going back to the old stories in Voyager and that the Borg were always looking for for perfection and that um, there was that one episode where they call it the Omega Directive. Uh, Unimatrix Zero? 
No, no, no. It was, it was, it was a totally separate one. It was about this this particular molecule and that that the board. Oh yeah, yeah. The one that the, was. Yeah, that that one was the the one that uh, could destroy warp travel, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, oh, I That's, can't remember because all, all of the Starfleet well. captains had the. Yeah. knew it if they ever oh, came across yeah. that, that uh, molecule yeah it's, um but it reminded me that the borg you know we're always fascinated by perfection and that you know and they never stopped in that and you know flesh and blood it was like you know the last great barrier to them right because you know the as much as they were an organic culture and that they were largely machine culture mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so and the fact and they could assimilate but they could not reproduce yeah mm-hmm. yeah borg babies. so this you know, so in a way, I was when I viewed it, I was like, "This is the final victory of the Borg, yeah. right?" To introduce their own DNA, and you know, that could be easily incorporated into every civilization's DNA. You yeah. know, yeah. So that everybody yeah. could would eventually be yeah. Borg and breed breed Borg. Yeah, and it, it does. It it it's it, it's it's fascinating. Like yeah. it's such an ingenious way. Terry Metalis yeah. had to. Um, and the fact that Starfleet, for some odd reason keeps going back to automate automation they keep on doing it's this like every... one two three four five like in, plots about the, automation i think in the past couple of years it's just like yeah we, we don't want to have us doing all of this crap all the time let's let's make sure there's a way that our ships can just do do it do it by themselves because it was on yeah, prodigy our, lower our fingers here. our fingers get tired what do you want for yeah, us there's, there's too much touching the, the screens are too they're too smooth um so they ended up taking over the fleet uh you know unfortunately to to the detriment of uh admiral shelby um they they the under 25 she, she, she takes she takes two in the chest she takes two in the rest, chest. In, rest, <laughs> rest in peace shelby. shelby that was a, that was an unfortunate cameo uh, um yeah. she um yeah so they end up taking over the fleet which is already trying to be automated and the titan crew or at least not the titan crew um the the elders of the titan crew end up having a last stand on the lower decks of the Titan and Captain Shaw dies while mm-hmm. while while having the rest of the the Enterprise D crew just shuttle off somewhere else. Um, what did you think at the end of Shaw? <laughs> I know, I hated him in the first episode so much. You know, it was like the yep. the, the the casual way he like you know dismissed like you know Riker and that you know it's like you're into that jazz and that and he's like you know all the bebop and chaos and that he's like I like meter and structure yeah. <laughs> I Insult- like polkas <laughs> and waltzes insulting them at every every step of the way in that dinner and that you know uh, but like episode by episode it's like he's, he 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 started to win you over because you realize he's not just some asshole and that he's actually very smart you know mm-hmm. you know um he helped you know it's like well, how do they keep finding us you know as he's there with the fucking with the sucking chest wound you know yeah. he's like how did they keep finding us which leads jack to go not do this and then helping you know seven and that figure out how to find a changeling yeah yeah there was dimensions to him. And then obviously like when you learned that he was a survivor of Wolf three, five, nine. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were really building him to maybe herald a new series, you know, as captain of the Titan. But unfortunately, no, he has to make a sacrifice play in that in order for them to, to, to defeat the changelings and the Borg. And this was a good death. Another good death in this series. It's a good day to die. Yeah. 
Shows <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, same thing. I lo- I love the character. I thought he was fabulous. Yeah. Uh, he was sarcastic, and that's my kind of humor too. So, you know, when <laughs> when when they would call it, go Captain Shaw, we have to go. You know, we have to go. Uh, you know, to the back, back to earth. And he'd be like, of course we do. <laughs> like, that kind yeah. of stuff. like he would just the sarcastic comments and everything. Um, love the character. Does anybody want to throw any more weird shit at me today? Yes. That's my favorite <laughs> <line>. <laughs> or when he's all like happy in the, in the turbo lift, when he thinks the other two are going to get in trouble. And, yeah. <laughs> like, I oh. took time. I decided to radio ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Can you get your bullshit story together? <laughs> <laughs> Um, like it's, yeah. it's it's so cool because th- these characters uh, Riker and Picard and all them have, have always had this reverence to them and to have somebody basically say you know I I, I, I don't really don't care how important you think you were you know yeah yeah <laughs> this is my ship <laughs> yeah um oh, yeah so um uh, Raffi and Seven are left on to to save the Titan while the rest of the D crew go back to the Starfleet Museum and we see that Jordy has been the ultimate nerdy car guy and, you know, re refixed up the enterprise D who, uh, which had crash landed back in uh, generations, which you could argue is also a main character of the next generation. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Yes. I fully expected that ship to saucer separate in the, in the final episode, which it didn't, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, so they take the D and they go and off to Jupiter and find this giant board cube. And inside um the uh we get another away team we get Worf, Riker and Picard going down and confronting the queen because Jack is down there having become the the voice of the Borg. I skipped over Vox. a lot but I but I wanted to move faster. Faster, yeah. more intense. Cuz um, it's almost midnight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um so we uh Picard uh ends up talking to Jack and getting him to disconnect from the from the collective through fatherly love. And there's this amazing sequence where the power of love, the power yeah. of love, uh, Huey Lewis <laughs> had it right, man. Um, <laughs> what did we think of this whole rescue scene that we see all the enterprise shooting shit up, Beverly Crusher being a badass. <laughs> um, there's a death star trench run, uh, Death star two. The trench enterprise run. D has never looked as cool. Yeah. I just want you to guys to <laughs> talk about how cool the sequence is and how awesome the power of love is. Go both of you Hawk. Go for it. All right. And the series that gave me things that I didn't even know I wanted or needed and that they gave me back the enterprise D Yep. Uh, I didn't know. I did not. Know. I did not either. I did not have no, an inkling that it would be coming back. The Enterprise like, D is currently the wallpaper on my computer right now. Damn yeah, straight. I, still, I <laughs> you know, saw. It. I could, I just felt my throat tighten when I saw it. It's like, oh my god, they're gonna yeah. be. Able, yep. You know, and it was it was made perfect sense as to why it was there. Yeah. You know, and why they needed it at that. Not connected way. to the fleet. Yeah. 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 Yeah, not connected to the fleet, old school, and that, and it's their ship, and that it's like you know, it's how, like the the Gal- it's how they save the universe, like more than once, and that is on that ship. So it's fitting that you know that it would carry them through their last voyage as well. Shaw would have lost his shit if he yeah. got to go on the Enterprise D. Oh, <laughs> right, he didn't even he, know because he was that. an engineering geek. Yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, the whole the whole rescue was great. The you know, the fact that, like, you know, Picard had been running from the Borg for all this time, jacks himself into the, the collective again to save his own kid, mm-hmm. you know, 
Beautiful. You know, and when you know he didn't think, and when he didn't think Jack was going to come out, he said, "It's okay. You want to stay? I'll stay." And that's like and that's mm. a, that was him not being a captain or the savior of the galaxy. That was him being a dad. Oh. Oh. And then so Troy, yeah. with yeah, her she, through feeling um her anxiety, she's she, able she, to she, to fly in there and through the force. Through the force and just get the, the force. best like tele <laughs> teleportation scene I've ever seen. With the I love watching the, the the Enterprise sort of swing around. Yeah, from a, it from drifted below. in. It drifted oh. in and went. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh this whole this whole yeah. Sorry, Shuffs. right? Because you because I didn't. We none of us knew what was going to happen there. Were no. we going to have a, a massive sacrifice of these incredible characters to save the galaxy once and for all? Right. So were they going to die? What was going to happen? And then, and then, yeah, like they were ready to, it was like Worf. He's like, it is a good day to die. You know, they, they were ready to go. And then he's like, I, you know, Riker's like, I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting with our son for you. Imzadi. I know. And oh. then that, the, that moment she was like, <gasps> yeah, she knew. So, so cool. good. So good. So they saved the day, the, the enterprise D they get, you know, they get the charges dropped for, you know, stealing a spaceship. Um, <laughs> by Admiral Tuvok and Seven gets promoted to captain. Mm-hmm. And what does she get to be captain of? The re- the newly rechristened Enterprise G, which used to be the Titan A. And on board, we get First Officer Raffi and mm-hmm. and Special Counsel Ensign Jack Crusher. So and- is he the counselor, like Counselor Troy? No. No, he's Special Counsel. Like, you know, it's like we're in this part of space and it's like we don't know what's going on. Uh, do you have any experience? That kind of thing. Because so like ne- he's like a Neelix. Ye- oh, yeah, I guess. Oh, Ooh. I never thought about that. <laughs> uh, why'd you have to say it like that? Oh. <laughs> but you're right. That's weird. Oh, no. He is oh. Tuvix. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um. So we find out that... Um, Captain Seven is the captain of the Enterprise G, and that's so fitting for that character. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of how this show ended? We'll talk about the post credits in a couple seconds. Oh, and then after that, the 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 crew of the the crew of the Enterprise D. I'm trying not to get all sad and happy at the same time. They end up going to ten forward and having a card game like they did at uh, Best of or um the end of TNG. All good things. All, all good, good things. things. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> what'd you guys think of how that ended? Great way of bookmarking it and bringing it full circle again, you know? Because even like even like yeah, that uh, like with the way they ended on all good things and that it was the captain sitting down for the very first time with the screw to play, you know, poker, and he's like, I should have done this a long time ago. And then you get this recap where it's like they're all happy and joyful and that, and it's like all the all the stresses are alleviated, and they're just they're just themselves. being friends. They're being a family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I love the way they filmed it with the extended, you know, the extended scene and that with the music playing over it while they yeah. just laugh and drink and play cards. I'll tell you about the behind the scenes of this sequence in a second. Yeah. What'd you shows. think, shows? You oh, didn't yeah. talk about was... Seven, man. <laughs> Seven, yeah. I mean, it was great. You know, she's finally, she's captain of that. You know, so her character arc had, you know, finally come full circle. And like, she's back in Starfleet where she belongs, where she should have been all along, mm-hmm. you know? Agreed. Even if she felt she didn't belong there, and that they all throughout most of the season, because she didn't, she didn't fit the rules. Jane Way shouldn't have should have been there. 
So originally, they found a way. I know she was supposed to, but they they yeah. should have they should have found a way to bring her in there because that would have yeah. completely fixed that that because she was she was always Seven's mentor. But so mm-hmm. was Tuvox. Tuvox. True. Tuvok. Tuvok. Why did I say Tuvox? There's only one you're of them. You're thinking, you're thinking Tuvix. I blame Shells for saying Tuvix earlier. <laughs> yes, I know. You curse us. Um, but but yeah, like it it, it was it, the whole the whole seven thing was was super awesome. Um, I I I think that from the moment we saw uh, Jerry Ryan appear in season one, you know, and she goes, "You owe me a ship, Picard," and then at the oh. end of season three, here's your ship, the Enterprise G. <laughs> you know, that's fair. And, Right, it's pretty cool, and and like the fact that the Enterprise D gets like a proper, like gets the place of honor that it deserves instead of just yes. you know half of it exploding and the other half just sitting on a planet. Mm-hmm. Like that ship had so much, um, has done so much for the galaxy, saved so many people, given us so many adventures. Now it gets to be taken care of. Like Jordy will take good care of it. <sighs> I didn't you know? think about that. Yeah. So, so I, I like the idea that they're that that sort of tied up that loose end with that ship, um, and, and they even did like you know the end of of a sitcom, like the end of Friends. You know, they shut off the lights, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they walk out of, of the main set. Right? Yeah. It's like that. It it, it was cool. The, the The poker game was just like it was. It was a fun. It was the opposite of what I was worried about, which was that they were all going to just die, and they were going to die in an honorable way, but they were going to die, and that's how they were going to end the series. Instead, it's that was their last adventure, but it doesn't mean that they're all dead. Now they can now they can sit back and enjoy their retirement and and relax without having to you know be I don't Sabers. know hunted or killed or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I can't add to that. You guys knocked that out. Um, so the reason why that last scene, the poker scene, felt so real is because they filmed it for an hour. They he him Terry Metalis was like, you know what, just play cards, just have fun, guys. And they just ended up just screwing around and playing cards. So that's that's just them being them. And that's you could awesome. tell how close that, this cast. That's, that's a real cast reunion right there. We're right? just yeah. watching. We're seeing friends actually just screw around with each other. That that's such a good way. Yeah. Bum bum bum. Post credit scene or mid credit yeah. scene technically because we see yeah. the Enterprise G in front of the sun or a sun. And this 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 is the part that bugged me that I talked about earlier. Yeah, I know yeah. that's why, okay. but I love this part. <laughs> We're gonna get into that. And and Jack is settling in on into his his uh, quarters. He has a little uh, puts a little ships. little golden little Enterprise D, which no one wanted at the first episode, right? No one wanted the fat ones. And then, uh, which is even more clever that they that they saved the <laughs> the day with the fat <laughs> chip. I didn't even think about how that called back to that anyway. Yeah. Um, and he puts down a picture of uh, Patrick Stewart and uh, Crusher uh, at a '90s premiere, which I thought was amusing. And then, yeah, yeah, that, that, that picture was the two actors, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we hear a familiar voice, and that is of Q, who had died in season two, but is back and telling Jack that while his father's adventures are done, his trial has just begun. Hmm? Picard. Or not Picard. <laughs> make, it, make it so. <laughs> Listen, I've said it before, and I will say it again. The Q are an unfathomable race in that. As much as we think we know about them, we don't, you know? And the fact that one died and now has come back, it, makes it somehow, it doesn't make sense, but it makes perfect sense in that, in that we don't know. He got bored, as my brother said when we were watching, it's like he got bored of death. 
and came back. Yep. You know, which is something Q would do. He's he's the dot. Yeah, he's the dot on on the eye of the Jeremy Barmy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> What more do you need to know? And it's like, and John Delancey's back as Q, and that it's he like that's amazing. all I ever wanted. Yeah, that's all I ever wanted. Shows right. So, yeah. So, so I I love Q. I love John Delancey. I think I think that 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 part was awesome to see him, and and I get what's going on. This is kind of a River Song situation. Yes. Um. You know what I mean? Like we're 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 not quite sh- like we, he when he talks about seeing things so linearly, right? It's like maybe he did die, but did he die before or after or, where, you know, like who knows when that would happen. But in terms of the storyline, it just it, it made the end of season two feel cheap. Like it, it that was a very touching ending when Picard and Q were able to have that sit down and and they were so vital to each other's characters and and and, and there's their stories. And, and and Picard could be there for Q when Q was finally ending his journey. And that was an important moment for me watching the show. And then for him just to appear and go, nah, I'm not really dead. You just don't, you just don't get it. Um, it, it, it bugged me a little bit. W- will I be okay if there's more Q episodes? Sure. I'll, I, will, I will happily see more Q episodes. I just feel like if you were, if you're going to do that, then mm-hmm. why did we go this direction in the first place? But mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't necessarily season three writers handling the season two content and, and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, that's just stay typical in that. We got Data's death at the end of season one, but Data is back, and we're yeah. glad. Yeah. And we had Q's death, which was touching, you know, and especially, like, the moment between him and Picard in season two. But, you know, again, that was season two. This is season yeah. three. I just that's don't true. want to see Picard and Q back together, because I think that no. would make it even worse. I think, that, I think that's done. I, and to be honest, I don't think we'll ever see Patrick Stu back in the role again. No, me neither. Oh, well, you never know. He might show up as an admiral one day, just randomly, Maybe. like as a message to, to the people, like you know, going off. They they did it with James Cromwell at the beginning of Enterprise, right? I didn't expect no, to see yeah, him back. Um, yeah. So, um, I think just one more thing before we do our season rating is, um, what really made this series special for me was the music, because they didn't score this like any other Star Trek show I had ever seen. They skill they they scored this movie this 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 whole series like a giant movie, like it felt so cinematic and epic all the time, and I I it astounds me how beautiful the music was of this sh- of the show. Um, you don't have to add it on onto this, but you can if you want to. No, no, the, the yeah, the music just was great and the music was always important to the series and that from like you know like the the galloping theme song and that you know to like you know the little bits of incidental music they always included you know it was great and the the way they handled it was here was fantastic you know i know there was a bit of controversy when james russo didn't you know return and that because he had done the music for the first two seasons i think um you know but like this was just this was more cinematic and movie quality yeah. and more fitting to the tone of this uh, season. Yeah. I ended up talking to Stephen Barton and Frederick Weidman last week, and they mm-hmm. were talking about how they had, they created way more music for this than anything they had ever done before. They, they scored it like an actual movie, an yeah. actual 10 hour movie. <laughs> um, it's, it's available now. So you should definitely check out this soundtrack. I don't know. Shows, did you have anything to add about the music? 
No. Just that it was awesome. You should listen to it. Uh, Vinyl yeah, comes out in a in a week. Like it's it's apparently been getting a lot of play on Spotify. It's and, number and, one on yeah. in soundtracks on everything, which Good. is well deserved because I what I think I'm gonna do my final rating and this this goes for the music and the whole show. This show took what came they took legacy the legacy of Star Trek. They didn't shit on it. They mm-hmm. they added to it in a meaningful mm-hmm. way and they made it better. Um. And I don't think I'd ever seen, I don't think I've ever seen a series come back after such a long time and end the way in such a fitting way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's, it was my hope for the sequel trilogy of star Wars, mm. but it didn't happen. This is, this is everything I wanted the sequel trilogy of star Wars to be. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy as a fan I give this a nine out of ten. Uh Hawk. Uh the for me this was like like a ten out of ten. Like My issue know, was any... a changing switch to um to board. Yeah. Right at the end. Yeah. It makes it, sense, it, but it, it just it hurt my feelings as a DS9 fan. <laughs> ten out of ten just in pure satisfaction on that. Like well, I said, as I said, week by week, this was just, you know, it, it defied all my expectations and that, you know, and as burned as I was by the first two seasons, you know, it, it, you know, it is how happy I was that they, they, they pulled this off, you know, the eighth season of TNG. Exactly. 10 out of 10, hundred percent. Loved it. Loved it more than any other Star Trek season. I think I've ever seen. I agree. And, and I think, you know, being someone who's, you know, goes all the way back to the very beginning. Like when my uncle first, showed me the original series and stuff like this this was created by by people who definitely had a reverence for the show for the universe for the fans uh who didn't who didn't try to cheapen anything out it wasn't like uh star trek beyond where they had to add a motorcycle race scene Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff like it was (laughs) or or into darkness when they just had to go back to the well of Khan. yeah yeah they they were they were like they, they knew who the fans were they knew that the fans were smart and the fans um uh, were were people that adored the, uh, the 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 I guess you use the word legacy of the show, and 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 they they made something really special. Mm-hmm. This this will definitely get a Blu-ray spot on my shelf. One hundred percent. I'm gonna mm-hmm. change mine to nine five, purely because I had a conversation with my my parents. What was it on Friday? They had finally seen it on Friday night, um, and they're Did the you? ones that introduced me to Star Trek. I didn't even get to talk to you about this because I I was. I was telling Hawk last week that I'm excited to hear from them because mm. when I was six in 1987 and TNG premiered, um, they were the ones who were like, you know, we should come in and we should watch this. And I was on my swing set in my backyard. I came in and we had pulled out the the pullout couch in our basement. We put on TNG and it, this was the thing that we would do every Encou- Sunday. Encounter at Farpoint. Every Sunday. And I, I remember seeing TOS on tv after school but it was nothing like it was on tv i was like i don't get this it wasn't in order so i didn't understand what was going on but mm-hmm. t but tng was the one where like every week we watched it together and mm-hmm. to to talk to my parents on friday about the show and how much they enjoyed it and they're like they were talking to my older sister who didn't really care about star trek at the time or even now she, and they're like you have to watch the show you have to watch how good it ends and i was just sitting there i was watching my parents geek out about something and they don't geek out about anything 
Although my dad does dress up as Jordy LaForge every Halloween. Um, I, it was just, it's cute seeing, it's cute. It's, it's, it, it means a lot to me to, to see my parents enjoy this as much as they did. Um, were they a little bit weirded out that the, the, the change happened so fast at the end? I did. Yeah. But, but they didn't, they didn't care because they really liked seeing that crew kick ass and that mm-hmm. for that ship to come back. Like mm-hmm. they were so happy that that ship came back. They, I'm going to tell you one more story. Did they ever tell you that my parents went to Las Vegas, Star Trek, the, the experience, and they didn't yeah. bring me? I was a teenager. What? I could have gone. What? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, they're like, we'll bring you back something. I was like, but, but I, I what? <laughs> and they brought they me back. A, they bring a keychain? <laughs> they brought me back a board cup and a hat. That's a Star Trek experience. I was like, I will be there one year. And then it closed. And I was like, I'm never uh... going to it. <laughs> That's how big of fans I guess they are. Is that they would yeah. go to a Star Trek exhibit without. Oh, Plus, they probably wanted to gamble too. They so. were yeah, they went with friends too. I guess that's fine. I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad we got to talk about um, Picard. I know we were so excited about this season, mm-hmm. and it blew all our expectations away. We should play Star Trek. Uh, was it Bridge Commander? Bridge Crew. Bridge Crew. You. It's on PlayStation. You should play with it. Yeah, I, I just downloaded uh, Star Trek Online, so I haven't fired it up yet. But it's terrible. I, 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 I have it Star Trek Online on, on my uh, PS5 right now, too. It's not yeah. terrible. It's fun. No, it's not. It's terrible. It's fun. I'll play it with you guys, though. <laughs> yes. Okay. yes. It's terrible if you play it by yourself. <laughs> that I agree with. It's boring. Okay. If it is that. Anyway. Right, but if you're going on missions with your friends, come on. It's true. How cool is that? It's true. It's just, it's, it's clunky. We'll talk about this afterwards. Anyway, for um, thank you guys for coming and talking about uh, Star Trek and Mando. Um, it's yeah. late and I'm tired. So we're going to go. Thank you guys out there for listening to us. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Hey. Well, that's it for us this week on Geeks with Kids. If you want to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids. Follow us on Twitter at geekswithkidscn. Check out our pics on Instagram at Geeks with Kids, and you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca. So if you like what you hear, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.